that I think Cause she don't know that I exist But I go home to her There's nothing wrong with me There's something wrong with her What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 160 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com go check out our two black nerds forever collection inspired by black panther wakanda forever we got t-shirts crew neck city stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing the hit romantic comedy starring george clooney and julia roberts ticket to paradise also we'll discuss two new releases including the comedy thriller the menu and steven spielberg's latest film the fablemans plus we'll chat about season five of netflix's royal drama the crown and the anime nyc convention from this past weekend but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with the review of netflix's sequel mystery flick enola holmes 2 excuse me perhaps i should explain my name is enola holmes i started a detective agency how old? But you're a girl. Tell me. Yes? Might your brother be free? My brother? Well, I have not a single case. Sherlock Slatus seems to be vexing him. Is it true you find lost people? Yes. My sister. She disappeared a week ago. At last, I would be a detective in my own right, worthy of the home's name. Dare I ask? She's a detective. Good God, another one. I'm trying to save a girl's life. And what can we do? We. Gonna be my girl. Oh, good. He isn't. Are you involved in something dangerous? Good afternoon. You can't control Anola Holmes. She's a force of nature. You. Why are you here? Is it my case or your own? Both. It seems our cases are connected. Shall we? Now, this movie is directed by Harry Bradbeer, and it's written by Jack Thorne, and it's starring Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, and Helena Bottom Carter. So, Enola Holmes 2, as it says, is the sequel to the very first Enola Holmes film that dropped on Netflix, I believe, a couple of years ago, back in 2020. And I remember at that time, although I didn't watch it when it was initially released, that the first Enola Holmes film was one of the most popular Netflix films that had released. I think it had some of the largest viewership in terms of the first four weeks of its release. And so, it was no only natural that they were going to greenlight an Enola Holmes 2, of course, which such stellar talent also attached to this project and this franchise. This is something I know we both got a chance to check out recently on Netflix, but with all of that out the way, I'll pass it over to you, man. What did you think about Enola Holmes 2? You know, I think I'll 
just always be a sucker for Sherlock Holmes content in general. I, I'm a pretty big fan of Sherlock Holmes. That being said, I, I still haven't watched the TV show for whatever reason, nor have I watched Elementary, that TV show, you know, with Lucy Liu. But when it, what I have seen or read, even read a little bit is some Sherlock Holmes stories along with, um, of course, the, the Sherlock Holmes movie star Robert Downey Jr. And I just like them a lot, man. It's something about this Victorian era um, in, in, in Britain and this detective. I don't know what it is. Um, it's, it's something that I, I think has been done in different ways. But Sherlock Holmes is so specific, man, and such a cool character because he is a detective, a really good detective. But he also isn't perfect. And that's also what like, makes it so entertaining to watch for me is his how his he can be a, both a genius and an imperfect genius at that mixed with mystery and detective stories and details it's just I've, i always like it and so enola holmes comes in and i'm like okay are we gonna can we keep the same energy uh millie bobby brown is a tremendous actress uh we, we, we we've had a good share of talking about her on this podcast with other projects but you know here when enola holmes one comes out i, I was pleasantly surprised on what we were able to get, you know, it was more than a Sherlock Holmes story. They were able to take uh, uh, the character of Enola Holmes, who is younger than her brother in Sherlock Holmes, take her, take into account that she does want to become a detective, take into account that she is a woman in, in early 1900s, late 1800s Britain, <laughs> where there's a ton of misogyny, you know what I mean? And, and women aren't made to do this thing. And I, I thought, okay, maybe they got lucky with the first, right? Like you said, the first one was really, really popular. A lot of people watched it. And we come into into Enola Holmes too. I ain't, part of me was apprehensive. I was ex, I was excited. I wanted it to happen, but I was like, "Can they do that again? Like, is it possible for them to? I don't know. Continue with this? With yeah, just how, how uh, this interesting, I guess, story with Enola Holmes part two. And I think they do it. And and I think they do it in a way that uh, again, I think they just add on to a lot of the things that they already had. And I think when you can provide a mystery that we haven't seen before, or even sometimes a mystery where it's always fun in a, in a, in a mystery who done it, or you know something like that, where you really don't know who done it, <laughs> really don't know who did it, you're like, oh shoot, that's not, I didn't see that coming at all. You know, the Holmes kind of accomplished that for me in a lot of different ways. It's like, dang, I didn't know that was going to be, you know, that the outcome of this, and, and and I think that that really makes it entertaining. Again, along with all the cool clues that you see. Um, and Enola Holmes too also does a good job at again understanding how to not I think pander to an audience who is looking for more women driven content or speaking to the 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 strength that women have always had right but it it, it does a good job of being like nope this is some badass women they just do cool shit <laughs> and that's what we get and I love I love the way that that is communicated here i think in this film i think it i think that also works for it very well but i think they did it again i think millie bobby brown man is con continuously uh just just again making do, doing good work man she she's believable i think she's a great enola holmes it's always really cool seeing henry cavill um as playing sherlock holmes i think that's that's fun stuff but i i i think i'll just always enjoy these stories man something about the holmes that just it, it's it, it it works for me, man. So yeah, I I enjoy myself. Yeah, listen, Sherlock Holmes is quite possibly the most adapted figure in all of media. I think there's probably been more on screen 
adaptations of that particular character, both across film and TV. As you said, there are just numerous iterations out there. And now we're taking a little bit of a lesser known character, Enola Holmes, although that character has grown in popularity due to the young adult fiction series that was created back in the mid 2000s, which is really kind of the basis and the formation of what these two movies have turned out to be. And I think that that's just added extra layers and dimension to the world of Sherlock Holmes, because that's really what this is all about. I think just looking at obviously what Netflix is trying to do, create a franchise in and of itself that can really be spun out in multiple different ways and iterations with just all of the well-known characters across this universe. This is a really smart way to do that because there have been a ton of Sherlock Holmes adaptations, of course, but not as much from the Enola Holmes front. So I think with that first film that I just recently watched for the first time in preparation of the second one, looked at it, it was okay and it didn't necessarily wow me in any particular way, but I thought that it was enough there in which they could pull from to make something that's really enticing and intriguing that would obviously make people want to come back to this world and be with these characters. And I'm glad to say that the second one, at least for me, actually surpassed the first one pretty much on all fronts. I think that they really took all of the ingredients that they incorporated in that first film and kind of raised their game because I found Mm. that some of the aspects that didn't work as well in the first one that turned out to be improvements in this one is the fact that although this is about Enola Holmes and she is the focal point, there just wasn't enough Henry Cavill for me in that first one. He was largely Mm, absent, which is kind of necessary. I think that they did that by design so that you can really know Enola Holmes as a character and really become connected to her. With the second one, now that we've already spent that time with her, they add in more Henry Cavill. So we get to see that dynamic between these two and them playing off of each other. And I think that Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill have great chemistry with each other and it works out really well. I also think the action sequences in this one actually raise the bar compared to the first one. I was really, really enthralled by just the sequencing and the staging of the, the notable action sequences. And overall, to be honest, I think the mystery, the central mystery here was a little bit more intriguing that first one was also was also nice because it really played into her familial history obviously her relationship with her mother which was you know really the focal point in that first one i think that this one again because it just kind of gets more into the idea of her really cracking a mystery that's somewhat unrelated to her and it's just her using her wits and her intelligence and her resources to figure out what's going on here it just felt a little bit more I guess a little bit more familiar to what we're typically used to seeing out of a Sherlock Holmes story. Like, Mm. again, just this family, just these two characters really applying everything that they know and just all of their wits to whatever the central mystery is at hand. And overall, I think the supporting cast here was pretty impressive and everybody just kind of stepped up their game. So I really, really enjoyed the second one. I think largely more than the first one, although the first one is not bad by any means. It was just okay to me. But the second one kind of makes me even more interested in terms of what the future may hold for this franchise. I mean, do you have any thoughts on what that looks like? It felt like within this film, there were a lot of teases at what could come. You know, they introduce Mm -hmm. another character that's very well known to the Sherlock Holmes universe as well. It feels like that there could be a lot here. And it's interesting, as you said earlier, I mean, there's numerous iterations. There is the the television series out there. It sounds like that Robert Downey Jr. is also trying to come back and play Sherlock Holmes again in a major film adaptation. It seems like Mm -hmm. they're going to do a third entry into that franchise. What do you think that this Netflix universe could bring that would be different than anything else we're seeing right now? Man, I think just that that relationship honestly that you talked about between uh Enola Holmes and Sherlock Holmes you know Millie Bobby Brown and, and, and Henry Cavill is I think something to be explored um again not to give too much away in, in this film but there is uh, uh they they do meet up more in this movie like you said there's more screen time from Henry Cavill in this movie and, and for that the relationship does grow a little bit as you see um when, when you watch the film and so I think something they could bring to the table is just 
them actually being on the case at the same time. You know what I mean? Like them actually having uh, uh, an adventure together. They don't call it Enola Holmes or Sherlock Holmes. It's just Holmes and something. You know what I mean? Holmes and associates. Holmes Name and Holmes. Them. Holmes and Holmes. <laughs> like come up with a cool name for the movie. But I think uh, uh, I think there's I think that's there's something there that you won't get from you know any other iteration of this and i think that's part of the genius of enola holmes is is really you are circling millie bobby brown as enola holmes here and it's like okay how do we do this in 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 a way that also we now include henry calvin they both feel you know they both feel like they're meant to be here you know in the movie and in really uh exhibiting the chemistry uh that they have each other i think there's i think there's something there for that like you said they do you know introduce another character uh and i was actually i was like oh shoot okay i see where we're going here um that i think also adds to that you know what i mean and so it that's kind of what i'm looking for i'm like okay we got two enola homes it would be cool if 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 now we make this a team-up thing i think it would be really dope um will, will they go that way who knows they could just keep it enola and keep everybody else as as role players and supporting uh characters but i i, I think that's something that would set them apart is something something similar to that yeah, I mean, what's really interesting here is that they can kind of go as long as everybody's willing to, because there is just so much material there. I mm. think in that, you know, the Holmes mystery series, there were like seven or eight books or something like that. Sheesh. There's quite a lot of source material that they could pull from. So as long as they're good, as long as they are able to just maintain their level of quality that they have up until this point and hopefully continue to increase in, in, in all likelihood with just where they're going and what they intend to do, then I think you can make this be a pretty long lasting thing there's really not mm -hmm. there's not necessarily a reason not to but you also just have to be again cognizant that we are getting multiple iterations of this character at the same time but that's never necessarily stopped anybody before i mean true as, as we said earlier sherlock holmes has just been a main fixture in popular media for such a long time now and we're always inundated with sherlock's home stuff so as long as it's good there's really no limit i think to this stuff they just have mm -hmm. to again maintain a certain level of quality but we will certainly have to see but those are our thoughts on enola holmes 2 on netflix if you've checked out this film definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to go ahead and transition to our next film we'll be reviewing the new romantic comedy starring george clooney and julia roberts ticket to paradise i'm sorry i think your things are in my seat oh, sorry oh come on you've got to be kidding me Excuse me, ma'am. I need to sit somewhere else. We used to be married. Worst 19 years of my life. We were only married for five. I'm counting the recovery. In four days' time... Our daughter's gonna marry a guy she just met in Bali, millions of miles from home. I just really want to kiss you. It's like I looked up for the first time and realized everything I ever wanted was right in front of me. She's throwing her career away. Just like her mother did. So I'm the only one who can stop her. She doesn't listen to him. Oh, champagne! Oh, two, please. Just leave the bottle. Thank you. I won't let her throw her life away. We need to trick her into dumping him. As much as this will pain us both, we have to call a truce to make this work. Just be in lockstep. Hey, did you make a pact to not murder each other until you murder me first? We are here for you, my love. Yes, we're in lockstep. Yes. Promise, no mean comments. Pretty sure you don't win anything for eating the whole pig. No arguing. Get off, get off. No passive aggression. What about aggressive aggression? Try to keep the snoring down. I have a nasal strip. It's a mystery you're still alone. Mom, Dad, this is G'day. Almost was the do G'day. You learned that to make me look bad. You don't need my help there. <laughs> I'm on 
Are you sure they're not sharks? Come on, don't be a chicken. You might be working with the sharks. Come on. <laughs> I can't believe I got bit by a dolphin. When What's I do wrong that? with you? He said crusher. He said Georgia. So what's the plan? I say we steal the rings. How do they look? Disappointed. Do you think we're wrong? We're not wrong. Who are we to say that Lily doesn't know what's best for herself? I cannot believe you. What are you talking about? She found the rings. Where? In mom's bag. I knew it. What? You clean up pretty good. Here you go. It's not for the faint of heart. This is not his first rodeo. Okay, let's go, let's go. Can we get something a little more age appropriate for these two? Here we go. Which okay. one? There's only one. I see two. Oh, yeah. Now, this movie is directed by Ole Parker, and it's written by Ole Parker and Daniel Pipsky, and it's starring George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Caitlin Deaver, Billy Lord, Maxine Boutier, and Lucas Bravo. So, Ticket to Paradise actually came out about three or four weeks ago, so it's been in theaters for quite a while, and it's been somewhat of a surprising Success story, it, 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 it for all intents and purposes, has maybe resurrected the ro- romantic comedy in theaters. We haven't really gotten that many <laughs> rom-coms in theaters lately. It's kind yeah. of a genre that's mostly transitioned to streaming, but Ticket to Paradise has made like north of $150 million on like a very low budget, maybe like $20 million the spin was. Crazy. And that might largely be due to the fact that George Clooney and Julia Roberts are, you know, maybe two of the most recognizable faces in Hollywood. But mm-hmm. that being said, we know that stars don't necessarily drive films anymore. You have to really have a catch and have a reason to get people to leave their homes and go to the movie theater. So I know that this is something we actually both got a chance to check out in the recent weeks. And we wanted to talk about here on the podcast, the movie actually cost $60 million, not $20 million, but still double their budget almost still very good. But with all of that out the way and all that being said, we can go ahead and get into this movie. What did you think specifically about ticket to paradise? Man, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Um, It's, it's crazy because we've also kind of been talking about this stuff where like, stars will get to like their last not their last but you know just latter half of their careers and just like i just want to work with this person i want to work with that person and in watching this film you can pretty much kind of tell it's like ah, julia roberts and george clooney just trying to (laughs) try to make something on the screen um and and really that idea and concept by itself drove the film for me and made me have a good time with it. <laughs> um, easily, every time they were on the screen was the best parts of the film. You know, there's also uh, uh, Caitlin Dever, I think her name is in, in, in this film, who is is the daughter uh, of the two, um, which, again, this movie is about an ex-couple who used to be married. Their daughter gets married, and now they have to come back together <laughs> in in wake of their daughter getting married and in and, and hash that thing out and actually have to exist in space um with each other and and I think there's uh, a lot of cool moments that you can make with that that they do here um it it is a super cliche movie you've seen all of this before I'm pretty sure you have but it's something about the charisma and and again the star power of Julia Roberts and George Clooney that just I was just okay. I was like, oh, I'm watching this. This is fu- this is fun. 
this is fun to watch and and i think that's okay you know at certain times too it's not i ain't gonna sit here and act like we out here watching crazy rich asians when this movie comes on but it is like a it is refreshing by way of there being a, a simple movie that can can make you smile every now and then or can make you laugh every now and then and i think this movie did that quite well man um julia roberts still has probably the most beautiful smile in all of hollywood to this day man it's it's it really is an infectious smile um and and george clooney man using he actually there's so many uh, uh comedic chops he uses here that i thought um he, he did what well, uh, well with that was working uh again the the parts of the movie that just don't always work for me is Caitlin Diver's character. I think Lily and her love interest when they're on screen. I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm feeling you guys all the way. Uh, it maybe it's because Julia Roberts and George Clooney were there, but there are moments I don't know. It's just something about them. I was like, ah, this now nah, this really feels cliche, or this really feels like <laughs> it's not a, it's not all the way uh, uh, planned out. But again, overall, I I I. It's not perfect, but I enjoyed myself, man. Like you said, there's not a lot of rom-coms happening. Uh, we barely even talked about... I'm t- trying to think of the com- rom-coms you talked about this year. Maybe like Marry Me and Lost City. Marry Me was kind of the big one. Yeah, in Lost City, right. Uh, yeah. But like, man, there just haven't been kind of it. It's really kind of <laughs> it, um, which is weird. Again, I, I always tell people, I actually really like rom-coms. So it's weird that like we're not getting that genre anymore, but... A part of it is, I think that that movie going experience has been just been straight blockbusters, man. The blockbusters really been commanding that space, and uh, it's probably been a. I'm sure at some point in time there were certain rom coms that felt like blockbusters. You know what I mean? Like people felt like they had to go see them. You know, Um, and that's just not a thing anymore. Um, But again, I I I I say when this movie comes on streaming, go check this thing out for sure. I think it's a great at home. Friday night popcorny movie. I think if you like rom coms, um, but yeah, I, I I I recommend it. But don't expect like <laughs> the greatest rom com of all time. But I, I absolutely expect to enjoy yourself. No, certainly your 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 point about rom coms formerly being blockbusters is well taken. I mean, Julia Roberts in the nineties was the king of rom coms. She was she was or the queen, I should say, not the king, but she was ruling that specific genre. Like, mm-hmm. A Pretty Woman was a massive, massive blockbuster. Those Huge. movies would make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, but of course, the landscape has just changed so drastically. I think people, when they typically go watch a rom-com, they are expecting that to be an at-home experience that they can just watch on a Friday night on the weekend and not necessarily have to go to the movies for because a lot of in-theater experiences are reserved for those huge blockbusters with thousands of visual effects shots and huge ensemble cats. But it just goes to show that if you have the right formula at play, if you have the right pieces, you still can have a pretty major success. And I think Ticket to Paradise is proving that more than anything beyond the quality of the film, which I mostly agree with you. It it is it is average. It's the most average movie you could probably watch. But even with (laughs) it being average, George Clooney and Julia Roberts, you just can't get enough of them. We just love them. They've been around for so long and their natural friendship in real life just translates so well on screen. This is mm-hmm. like the fifth movie they've done together. So yeah. they obviously enjoy the collaboration between the two. And so you get that that experience and that that sense of history that that exists between them. And that chemistry is just all throughout this movie and that's where it works best but beyond that i'm just glad that a rom-com is in theaters and it's working and it's sticking around for so long this will be available to stream on peacock if i'm not mistaken in early december they're going to do the traditional 45 
or not traditional. It's it's more non-traditional. It's only traditional by recent standards post pandemic, but the, the 45 day theatrical window. So it will be available to view at home very soon for a lot of people. And I can imagine that once it does become available on Peacock, it'll also have another long lifespan on that streaming service and even more legs. But even as an in theater experience, although it's just like a perfectly average movie, nothing necessarily wowed me. I still enjoy myself. I was mm-hmm. still totally fine and totally invested with giving my time away to George Clooney and Julia Roberts. I think that, you know, those are just two actors that I've trusted for such a long time now because they've given me such great films over the years that I could just kind of watch them go back and forth. And that's probably the aspect that I enjoy the most about this movie is that they are not on the same page. This is actually a divorced couple. They've not been together in quite a while. So they kind of detest each other for a lot of this movie. And so it's enjoyable to see them play differently off of each other mm-hmm. in that respect because it almost feels like it reflects more of their real life relationship this this really just like back and forth quippy sort of banter that they have with each other as opposed to just like oh we're best friends we love each other it's not really that right. like if you watch their interviews you can tell they're snappy at each other and it's really funny and, and and i enjoy seeing that on screen and so i think overall this is just a a really successful experiment to bring the rom-com back and bring bringing two huge a-list a-plus list stars together to just have fun in a tropical location hell why not i'm i'm, I'm never going to necessarily turn down a movie like this as long as it's fine and good. And that's that's exactly what Ticket to Paradise was for me. So I certainly recommend it, as you said, once it does become available on streaming soon, soon enough here. But we will certainly have to see. But those are our thoughts on Ticket to Paradise. If you've checked out this brand new romantic comedy, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we'll transition to our next movie, a brand new comedy thriller film that just dropped in theaters this past weekend, The Menu. Good evening. Welcome to Hawthorne. It'll be our pleasure to feed you. Tonight will be magical. Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, protein, and at times entire ecosystems. We're eating the ocean. We're eating the ocean. Are you crying? (laughs) It's just I find it all very moving. So it's okay, but I'm... Not as into this as you are. Oh my god. You shouldn't be here tonight. You, my dear guests, are not the common man. Isn't that right? Is he gonna keep doing that? What happens inside this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside. We are but a frightened nanosecond. Nature is timeless. What the hell is going on? I love you all. We love you too, sir! Any questions? Is this bergamot I'm getting, chef? Yes, it is. Now, this film is directed by Mark Milad, and it's written by Seth Rice and Will Tracy, and it's starring Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Hong Chow, Janet McTeer, Judith Light, and John Leguizamo. So I would just start off and say that The Menu is a film that I know we've had on our radar for a little bit now. The trailers came out a couple of months ago, but this might be the best case scenario of a film that the less you know about it, the better. So we're going to do our best (laughs) to talk about this movie, obviously without spoiling it because we don't typically spoil films, but I'll just go ahead and give that disclaimer for folks that 
the less you know about this movie is probably going to be the better viewing experience for you. So if you don't want to know anything about the menu at all, you probably should just watch the film if you're interested in it and then come back and listen to our conversation again. We won't spoil anything, but there are certain things that we ha- kind of have to talk about as it relates to the plot, but we won't get into any specifics and details. But with that out of the way, man, I'll just pass it over to you. What did you think about this brand new film, The Menu? Yeah, like the the best I can do is try to read like the the Google synopsis, you know, that they kind of have and like hope. That's fair enough. <laughs> that, <laughs> so uh, this film focuses on a young couple who visits an exclusive destination restaurant on a remote island where the acclaimed chef has prepared a lavish tasting menu. I'm going to actually just leave it there because, <laughs> uh, yeah, this 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 movie, man, like you said, it's so hard to talk about without spoiling. But Jordan knows, man. I had a tremendous time <laughs> in the theater watching this film. It is just so much unexpected things. In in uh, I in th- talking about the menu, I never, I think, realized that it would be as comedic as it is. Um, but it is. You gonna laugh if you don't laugh. Something's wrong with you. Like you're gonna laugh while watching this film. Not only that, but uh, it's entertaining, man. It really is. There's there's so much in it that I, I again i just wasn't ready for man there's a lot of social commentary in it i think i wasn't ready ready for expecting um sure you can call it a thriller but sometimes people say that how much does it thrill you this one i was there <laughs> i was thrilled i think that's a that's a good that's a good way to put it but it's 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 a movie that i just have to recommend people see that way we can talk about it the way we can talk about all the wildness um that i, I think that takes place man i think um the 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 one and only uh uh Ralph Fiennes man he just what a tremendous job by him um he's always done a good job I think of teeter in the line that this movie has um he 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 played both uh roles in terms of again adding comedic tones that and and, and the thrillerness to it like he does have a serious character as well which I think is I don't know it's 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 weird again to talk about without without uh spilling it but i think he did an amazing job i taylor joy i've talked about her before she's just again slowly becoming one of my favorite actresses with, without a doubt but this this movie is is something that you just have to see man it's entertaining the thrilling is there you're going to laugh there's there's uh shoot i this is not spoilery i don't think but there's action <laughs> you know what i mean like there's things that that happen um that i think people will just be taken back by or, or be surprised by it. For that, I think it's it's a very, very enjoyable film um, that I didn't see coming. A lot of ways, it's like a secret hit to me because I know a lot of people won't watch the movie. You know what I mean? Like People are like, the menu? What's the menu? And I'm like, uh, maybe when streaming comes around, people will be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go watch that. But for now, I think it's, it'll, it's definitely a secret hit of the year, and I absolutely enjoyed myself. Uh, I, I can't wait to shoot hopefully there's something else that comes out of this because i think the 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 tone of the movie the way the movie ended there could absolutely be something um and so i i really do pray something else comes out of it but until then man um i actually can't wait to watch it again (laughs) whenever that is so yeah man that's it's the menu is great i like it yeah to your point this is an excellent excellent movie to watch with other people especially if you've seen it first this is one of those prime examples of oh you got to watch this we're watching this tonight i'm going to show you exactly what this movie yes. is and then you can just watch other people's reactions man did i enjoy this film so much this is my type of movie this is what yeah. this is like the 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 
clear-cut example of why I go to the movies, I search for this type of experience, something that I'm just not all that familiar with. It's not necessarily based on anything else. It's not from a pre-existing IP. I don't really pay as much attention to the marketing as I would for those bigger tentpole films. And so I mostly go in cold. Yes, I did see the trailer, but I don't really remember it. I see so many trailers all the time. I remember watching it, you know, like a month ago, and then it just leaves my mind almost immediately. I just looked and saw, oh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ray Fiennes, like I want to see those people in a film. And so when we went and saw this, my goodness, it just took me completely off of my feet in all the best ways. It is filled with so many twists and surprises and just unsuspected moments that you really can't predict or see coming. In all the best ways, I just had such a good time watching this mostly because of the performances at hand. There there are definitely f- certain sequences in this movie where there doesn't seem to be all that much happening, but because mm-hmm. the performances are so strong and there's so much behind the eyes of certain characters that you just can't necessarily put your finger on, you're left wanting more, and you're left with so many questions just wondering, well, what the hell is going on here? And what I found somewhat surprising is the element of mystery that's in the movie is kind of revealed pretty early they don't really leave you hanging for most of this movie and we don't get to the third act like still wondering like well what exactly is going on here they kind of show their hand pretty early and so the rest of the film is just kind of how we as an audience and also how the characters in the movie are reacting to Mm -hmm. the reality of the situation that they're in which is so fucked up on so many levels but it is just such a pleasant watch and if you are a fan of cooking which that's prominently featured in the trailer it is about the world of culinary cooking and, and lavish eating. If you are a fan of that stuff, if you like the precision and just the intricacies as it relates to that that world, there's so much of that stuff in here. I'm not as initiated into that world as some other people. This is something that's, you know, mostly brand new for me. But I can look at it and say, like, oh, my goodness. Like, if you're into cooking, you definitely are going to get a lot out of this movie because there is an artistry to it. Even beyond, like, the fucked up story that's at the center of it, there is an artistry to it. There is a certain commitment a level of commitment from these characters a part of this world where you can see like oh they're the best in the world at what they do even though it's kind of a twisted and warped thing that they're happening that they're doing here in this particular story but man this is this is a really incredible i think crowd pleaser i think a lot of people Mm. would watch this and have just such a great time because you even walk away at the end of it for my money mostly satisfied just based off of what you watch and also the fate of many characters and and what they go through over the course of the film but i echo everything you said it's it's surprisingly funny there's so many twists and turns and unexpected surprises the performances specifically from ray fines and anya taylor joy are top notch and there's a lot of mystery as well where you can't necessarily predict where it's going to go next so that just added up to a completely satisfying theatrical movie going experience for me if you don't want to watch it in theaters, that's totally fine. I know it's doing really well now, but this is also another great film that that, that can be you know available on streaming really soon that people I think will definitely latch on to. Mm-hmm. I also just want to say, Searchlight Pictures, which distributed this film, having a really really strong year here. I know Searchlight is now owned by Disney. They've always been a really prestigious film studio, but for a while there, they kind of at least from my eyes lost a little bit of their luster. Probably was due to the transition when they were bought out by Disney, but they have put out some really, really tremendous projects this year. We just talked recently about see how they run the Banshees of Sharon is another mm-hmm. one of their movies. They did the fresh movie that distributed earlier this mm-hmm. year on Hulu. Yeah. That was another really pleasant one. I think that they've just been having a really incredible year and finding their footing again in their identity as this really prestige studio that, that produces these high quality original films. And some of them, 
even go on to be Oscar contenders, which I think will be the case for for a number of their films this year, but definitely having a really strong year here. But those are our thoughts on the menu. If you've checked out this film, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we'll transition to our last film that we'll be reviewing this week, the brand new movie directed by Steven Spielberg, The Fablemans. Movies are dreams. That you never forget. Sammy? how everything looks it's hard to find our house ours is the dark house with no lights in this family it's the scientists versus the artists sammy's on my team takes after me what he does that's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been a concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey. Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. You always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! Now there's been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. was your favorite part? Now, as I mentioned, this film is directed by Steven Spielberg, and it's written by Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner, and it's starring Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Gabriel LaBelle, and Judd Hirsch. So, Steven Spielberg goes without saying, one of the greatest living directors that we have. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast as it relates to his own projects and just also, I think, the desire on our part to just want to talk about and praise Steven Spielberg because of how great he is. This movie, of course, is coming off of the heels of West Side Story, which for me was my best movie of 2021. I know we both raved about it a lot when we reviewed it last year on the podcast. This film is semi-autobiographical. This is a movie that Steven Spielberg has been trying to make for the better part of... I think like 23 or 24 years, I believe it was first conceived in 1999, but he's just now gotten around to it. A lot of projects have come and gone since that time, but he's now mm-hmm. gotten around to telling the story that is very much closely related to his own upbringing and his life and his family and how he really fell in love with the art of directing and the art of filmmaking and how he truly came to be one of the greatest directors we've ever come across, really. And so with all of that out the way, man, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about the Fablemans? Man, 
talk about just a film that I think it's a definition a lot of times of like nobody knows your story like you. But then you you add that to the person who Steven Spielberg that we know he is, I think, as an audience. And I think it makes for just a very interesting movie that I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Because while watching it, while watching the film, you're like, this is about Steven Spielberg. You know, there's like different parts (laughs) of the film that give you that realization of who this of who this film is about and who's directing it at the same time, which I think make it absolutely special. It's 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 a very uh, uh, interesting thing I think to watch, man. But the 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 Fablemans is long. It is a long movie, but in 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 saying that, it also is interesting. And it 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 as you're watching young, uh, I guess in the movie his name is Sammy. <laughs> as you're watching young Sammy. figure out the ways in which he fall in love with film and figure out the ways in which he loves film it's crazy because you're you're almost like sure you're watching the movie but it's almost like a third body experience where you're like you're watching steven spielberg watch an actor fall in love with film while you're watching steven spielberg and that actor fall in love with film as you love film yourself and trying to reminisce about why you also love it at the same time and i think that's what that's the coolest parts of the movie for me is when there's commentary on what makes movie special or, or there's even technical things where uh, uh, in the movie where young Sammy is making a movie and he finds a way to make the screen blink. And you're like, oh, shit, that is cool. Like, I, I, I can understand why somebody would fall in love with film that way. Or I think a lot of that stuff is, is, is really dope. But another big part of this movie that I did not expect at all. Um, maybe, I, I, this is another movie. Like you said, a lot of these smaller movies, I really just don't be watching trailers like that. Like, I'll see it the first time and then, like, purposely dump everything out of my mind. So, the menu was like that. But The Fablemans was pretty much like that for me, too. I also kind of went in pretty blind. And so, I did not expect uh, uh, what we get between Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, and Seth Rogen. Had no idea any of any of that was coming. Like, um, but it, it was a treat for the most part uh, because of, first of all, those are three tremendous people, right? Those are uh, really, really good actors. But also the how complicated things got in the film. Michelle Williams is such an important character to this movie. In a lot of ways, she is the she's the anchor in a couple of different ways. Of course, Sammy's the main character and it follows him, but really the, the movie sways with how Michelle Williams character sways, you know, when you really think about it. And I think that's all it, it, it makes, it makes for, uh, uh, again, a film you just don't really see coming. You don't know what's going to happen or that's unpredictable. Uh, because again, she's not the one telling the story. She's not necessarily the narrator. And so I, I, I found that story to be actually quite interesting in a lot of ways. Um, again, at, not understanding this would be have that drama element as much as it did having the coming of age kind of element that we get um from sammy's character and so there was only a couple moments where michelle williams where where okay there's a couple moments where i was like okay she could be knocking on some award territory here like she was doing some really great work there's other moments though that feel like i don't even know how to explain it that like are slightly over the top or in dramatized that I was like, okay, you took me out of it a little bit. Like you had me at first and then you, you kind of didn't <laughs> there for a sec. And so uh, I, maybe that's 
Steven Spielberg just directing his mom. You know, that could exactly be what that is. Uh, but man, it's part of me wish they did dial it back a little bit to give me a more rounded uh, performance from her. But she, I think she did a tremendous job. A tremendous job seeing Paul Dano in a freaking movie that where he's not crazed or like the the bad guy or you know what I mean is weird to me. I have you have we haven't seen a lot of that um, in in a CM in in a, a a movie of this length too was like oh yeah this is also a movie where he gets a lot of screen time. You know, um, I'm even thinking about. Of course, the Batman he didn't get even that much screen time when you think about it either. But what mm-hmm. I'm thinking about is like a like a Prisoners where he kind of did, you know what I'm saying? But like I don't know, something about this movie just felt like this dude is getting a lot of screen time, and I really appreciate Paul Dano being on screen as much as he is. Um, but I've, the dude also killed it. It's Paul Dano. Um, I, the more he works, the more I'm like writing him into <laughs> my list of like actors that I absolutely appreciate. Um, I think he did a, also did a tremendous job. Seth Rogen, wow. Uh, it's been a while for me since I've like seen him in a pretty non-serious role, um, or a pretty serious role, I mean, uh, because he has been in so many non-serious things lately, right? Like, even when he started talking in this movie, I was like, Pumbaa, is that you? Even though I know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Even though I know. But that being said, though, Seth Rogen, it's something about these people who started in comedy that actually make really good actors later on in their in their careers. And Seth Rogen... To me, he really has always proven that he was capable or he was always a good actor. But this the, the tone of this movie is like, no, the dude is he had to do some stuff in this movie he hasn't had to do before. And I love that about it. I love that Seth Rogen. Uh, uh, I, I guess you can say he challenged himself again. I feel like this is always in him. So I don't know if challenge himself is accurate, but I always felt like something a role like this was in Seth Rogen. I would lo- actually love to see him do something like this where he stars in the film. You know, I think that would be really dope um, to watch, man. But. I say all that to say, I think The Fablemans is really good. Like, if you're any kind of fan of Steven Spielberg or even a fan of film, I think you'll absolutely enjoy this movie. There's so much to it to talk about that. Again, I've, I only touched the surface. You know, there's there's only so much um, that that we can talk about on this podcast without spoiling anything. But it's it really is, a, a I think, a good time in the movies if you love movies. And I think and I love that Steven Spielberg is able to get across that message while telling us about himself and his family. A lot of stuff I didn't know about him. It, it just is what it is. Um, but I, I, I'm grateful that he, you know, he decided to make this movie and tell that story to us. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like the Fablemans a lot. Slightly too long <laughs> for me. There was a couple moments I was like, "Woo! all right, you're doing great, Steven Spielberg, but <laughs> do, do we have to go through this part? Um, but, again, it's, it's, it, it really is a good movie that – uh, uh, I, I guess you could say surprise me, but it's Steven Spielberg, so maybe it didn't surprise me. You know what I'm saying? But I hope I hope people who uh, again are, are fans just decide to watch the movie because I think it added some some different scope for me when it came to Steven Spielberg. Yeah, anytime we get a chance to talk about him on this podcast, I'm always in a very very excited mood. Overall, listen for more than a half a century, Steven Spielberg has somewhat shown us who he is as an individual as a human being based on the stories that he's told us if you've looked at any of his films if you look at any of his recent movies that have come out or even the ones that were initially released earlier in his career 
there are so many analogies and so many metaphors to his upbringing and his familial life and how that's integrated into almost nearly all of his projects. I mean, there are some central themes that are just so present. If you look at Close Encounters, the idea of parenting and yeah. separating are very much there. E.T., just the the wonderment that exists and also the idea of, of young children dealing with unknown, the unknown and just like what that all looks like. Other films that are, you know, a little bit more dramatic or maybe even based off of real life figures, he manages to somehow connect it to his own upbringing. And so The Fablemans has been the movie that I think Steven Spielberg has been building his entire career to make for the past, you know, 50 plus years. And Mm -hmm. we've seen other directors do semi autobiographical work about their upbringings, but it feels different with Spielberg because at this point he's made so many films and he's talked so much openly about his upbringing I think to a certain extent, if you followed him, you kind of feel like, you know, you know, parts of him. Obviously, we don't know him personally, Mm -hmm. but, you know, parts of his of his of his life and just what he's been through. And now he can finally just tell that story straightforward without doing the whole analogical piece. He can just go for it and just really shine a light on what inspired him to make movies and also just how his family and almost kind of the destruction of his family really influenced everything that happened with him at that very pivotal age in his teenage years. And so. In The Fablemans, you find this film that's part an ode to cinema, and then the other part is a family drama, and just what that all looks like. And the way that it balances both of those things, I think, is expert. It's 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 on a near perf- perfect level, at least for me, because the standout in this movie is the central writing and drama that exists between the characters and how they're interacting with each other, because you truly get to know these people because it is a longer movie, and... Listen, Steven Spielberg probably hasn't made a movie that's under two and a half hours in like 20 years. So I kind of <laughs> I kind of expected from him that that's anything true. he's going to make is going to be very, very long. But I think that being said, you know, this is meant to be, you know, kind of a sweeping family drama to, to that extent, because it is covering so much of his his young life from when he was an early, early child, first mm-hmm. discovering what what drove him to be a filmmaker, his first film that he saw, in fact, and his first experience in theaters, all the way up until that really pivotal moment when he finally got his first break. And so that has to cover quite a large amount of time. And so I found that, for me, I was really, really enthralled just by learning about what he went through and how, ultimately, the divorce of his parents, which is no surprise, he's talked about this forever and a day, if you don't know that his parents divorced, I'm sorry, that's not a spoiler for the movie. It's just a fact. But how integral that just was to who he became as an individual and how that influenced all of the stories that he would go on to tell. I mean, that's really kind of the the, the main home run driving point of this movie. And that's where you see these exceptional, exceptional performances by Michelle Williams and Paul Dano. I mean, listen, anybody who's gone through divorce or, you know, or, or parents who've gone through divorce, I, I have not. That's not an experience I can relate to. But I, I, I hear all the time how painful it is and how life altering it is. And I think that that's probably the, the best thing about this movie. It just shows how this can really just change the trajectory of, of, of a young person's life because they're now dealing with this somewhat traumatic incident that they don't necessarily know how to process. They don't know how to carry forth and move on from it. They have to choose between parents in certain situations. It be, it becomes a really, really critical moment in someone's young life where they have to grow up and become an adult and make these very adult tough decisions. And the way that that's just communicated throughout this movie, I think is done on just such a, such a, such a really tremendous level. Cause it has to be, it has to be handled with a level of delicacy too. These, mm-hmm. these are his real parents that he's portraying. This isn't just like some fake people 
He's yeah. telling a story about. So naturally, I think there will be some apprehension even on his part to bear his soul in this way and to be so vulnerable in this moment. But that's that's why I think it is such a home run. That's why I think it works so well is because he does open himself up to be so vulnerable and to just yeah. tell this story for what it is, as opposed to introducing extraterrestrials and aliens. And maybe Tom <laughs> Cruise is in a divorced relationship and is a, you know, somewhat absent father in war of the worlds. Like, you know, again, this stuff is all throughout his movies, but for him to tackle it directly head on after everything we've seen from him, again, I think that this is finally what you kind of want to see from a, from a, from a filmmaker like him and his career isn't over. Steven Spielberg is probably going to be making movies until the day that he dies. That just That's just the type of person that he comes off as. But if this were to be his last movie, just hypothetically speaking, I mean, there's no better note to go on, on, out on because he's done everything you can do. He's made every type of movie that you can make. He has literally nothing else, excuse me, nothing left to prove. And that might have been the case like 20 years ago. But I think that this is really kind of the summation of his life's work. And that's why it works so well. And so I have no doubt that this is going to get a lot of attention come award season. I absolutely think Michelle Williams is a shoe in for nomination at the Academy Awards for Best Actress. I mean, she really stands head and shoulders above a lot of other people um, in this movie just because of what she has to do and what she has to carry and the pain that exists. Because there's a lot of unexpected twists and turns, even from her. Again, as you said, I didn't know. And, and, and you come you come to learn how this all kind of dissolved in front of his eyes. I mean, it's it's quite surprising. At, at, at a few different turns and and what i found in the research is that a lot of the shit is true there's yeah. not that much that's dramatized there's there's even like some one-for-one -one conversations that happen in the movie notably the end i won't get into it but like mm -hmm. that actually happened in that exact yep. way and so when you when you see <laughs> stuff like that it's like oh wow this is kind of crazy like that this has just become such a such such a fixture in his life but um we we, we now know that steven spielberg already seemingly has this next movie lined up i think right after the release of the fablements which by the way is doing a limited release right now but it'll have a wider release over the thanksgiving holiday later this week but there was an announcement that bradley cooper is going to star in his next movie which is going to be a remake of bullet um which he's actually going to be undergoing which is you know remaking the steve mcqueen movie or at least paying homage to that movie we don't know exactly what it's going to look like but we also recently talked about spielberg possibly maybe going over to dc and directing a superman movie that's a big rumor that's swirling around i mean just generally from you even outside of like some of these more specific things that we've heard about steven spielberg i mean what 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 else is there to do for the guy i mean he's done again as i said he's done it all he's been everywhere you can as a director he's the most successful director we've ever seen at his age like what 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 other stories are there to tell or what other mountains are there perhaps for him to climb that he hasn't necessarily explored just yet you know, it's, it's not that he hasn't explored it, but I think he's already kind of doing that stuff. This is like what he does now. He's producing. He's showing people, I think, how to, you know, how to how to how to think like Spielberg. He's showing people how to, you know, how to how to make these films removed from from himself. You know, he is executive producing the next Transformers and the next Indiana Jones and the color purple and, and, you know, all these other things that he has coming up. He's a part of that stuff. He was a part of uh Animaniacs that was on Hulu, right. As a producer, he he's doing these things. I think just because I think that's the way in some ways that you do leave the legacy behind, right? You, you make all this stuff, you direct it, you write it, you get to a certain age where you're like, okay, now I'm going to show you how to do it. That way I can dip out of here. I don't got to do it no more. Um, and, and it kind of feels like that's what he's doing. I don't, of course, 
it's not a, as much a, of a uh, take the reins. This is my production company, you know, kind of thing that 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 he has to do. Um, but I think it, it it is absolutely he doesn't have to do anything, uh, and, and so that's why I think he's already kind of doing it in his uh, in his producer work. I think I think he's 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 getting that stuff done, and hopefully. Again, the way that uh, the the Fablemans ended <laughs> that conversation that you talked about, I'm sure he's gonna have to do that same thing to somebody else. You know, it's really about inspiring the next generation. I think I actually think something like the Fablemans will be perfect for that, right? Imagine somebody who's like 15 years old just went to go see the Fablemans, and now you know Steven Spielberg's life. You know what I'm saying? I think that's part of that work that Steven Spielberg is trying to do, not only tell his story, but inspire the next generation of people who are going to tell stories. And I think that's 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 just as important. So yeah, man, I don't I think he's I think that's it. I think he's done it. Um like you see he has nothing else to prove. I I still agree that Superman would be the cherry the cherry on top. <laughs> uh but he doesn't have to. You know what I mean? He doesn't have to answer to anyone. He doesn't need to do um anything else. He's already done it. So I'm just I'm just glad to see uh really him do anything at this point is like a is a treat to us. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, he's he's an industry and a complex in and of himself in terms of Hollywood. He's one of the few remaining directors that can make anything he wants to and pretty much every studio is going to just roll out the red carpet for him he deserves it you know he's obviously proven that time and time again that he deserves that treatment but yeah i I totally agree he's really just setting up the next steps for the next generation and has done so really for the past like 25 30 years you know the man started dreamworks he still has amblin entertainment that produces a lot of movies as you said so there's so much that he'll always have his hands in and be so much a part of that we'll never live in a world even if even if he ever hangs up like directing i mean he's 75 so he's getting up there but if he ever decided to step away from like actually being in the director's chair there's always something he could tap into from a creative standpoint because he'll never ever lose that and he really is one of the greatest that we've ever seen but those are our thoughts on the fablemans if you've checked out this movie or if you plan to check out this movie when it becomes wider released later this week definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to transition to the tv side of things and talk about one brand new show that just recently returned to netflix the royal drama one of the most prestigious dramas that netflix has ever produced the crown in light of the events of the last 12 months Perhaps I have more to reflect on than most. The royal family is in genuine crisis. Have royal scandals damaged the country's reputation? The House of Windsor should be binding the nation together, setting an example of idealized family life. It's a situation that cannot help but affect the stability of the country. For years, I've called for a more modern monarchy that reflects the world outside. I don't think it's my behavior that's threatening its survival. You, as future king, have a duty. People will never understand how it's really been for me. I never stood a chance. a breaking point because of the way she feels she's been treated. They see her as a threat. Remember the one condition, the one rule. You remain loyal to this family. You mean silent? Yes, it's a system. For better or for worse, we're all stuck in it. It feels it's all about to erupt. 
she opens her mouth and hand grenades come out. She wants to tear down the temple. Let's go for it. What the hell is she doing? I won't go quietly. I'll battle till the end. Her glories belong to the past. And the world will move on. And we'll be left with nothing. How did it come to this? Now, this series is created by Peter Morgan. All episodes in season five are written by Peter Morgan, and it's starring Imelda Staunton, Jonathan Price, Leslie Manville, Dominic West, Johnny Lee Miller, Olivia Williams, Claudia Harrison, Natasha McElland, Marsha Warren, and Elizabeth Debicki. So The Crown is a series that I recently tapped to tapped into, excuse me, probably about two years ago after season four. I had always wanted to watch The Crown because everybody talked so much about it, and it was largely considered one of the best Netflix dramas out there and was winning so many awards and always nominated every year at the Emmys. Always wanted to check it out. Of course, there's so much out there. You just kind of put it off until you can't put it off anymore. Once season four released, I'm like, all right, now's the time to really watch it because that was the season that famously introduced Diana into the picture, as we know. And that was the most recent season that had Olivia Coleman front and center starring, starring as Queen Elizabeth II. But now, two years later, we have transitioned into the home stretch of the crown. These will be the final two seasons, season five and season six. Imelda Staunton has now taken the reins as Queen Elizabeth. And so we are approaching the end of what this story tends to be. I have a bit of a hard time believing that they're just going to end it because there's more stories you can tell <laughs> with the crown and the royal family in mm -hmm. England, of course, as we know, just based off of recent events. But at least for the time being, this seems to be the end. And so now we have the penultimate season. I got a chance to check out all 10 episodes that re recently premiered on Netflix. And I just have to say, for me personally, at least, I think that this season mostly maintains the quality that you would expect out of The Crown. I mean, it, it is truly one of the best written shows out there. It is mm -hmm. tremendously acted, so well written, so well executed, and so beautiful on so many levels. When you look at The Crown, you can just see every ounce of money that's spent in the production value and the set design and the costumes because we are telling a really, really epic in scope story that spans multiple generations. And so just taking that into consideration, there's so much that has to be accounted for. And I've never looked at The Crown and ever thought that they shortchanged themselves. Like this is one of the best looking shows from every standpoint on TV. And then in addition to that, you take the acting performances, you take the writing and just the drama that's so central to everything that they're doing here. It's really tremendous. And I find that season four perhaps is their best ever season. I mean, it was mm. such an explosive season, again, with the introduction of Diana, which is what everybody was kind of waiting for to begin with, you know, once we knew that that was going to be time and territory that they explored. I mean, that's a hard mountain to overcome when you reach heights like that. And I think it just goes to show that most people felt that way. It's probably the most critically lauded season. I think it might be the most acclaimed from an awards perspective. It won outstanding drama at the Emmys that year, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm in agreement with all of that stuff. It was truly, truly a massive undertaking that they absolutely nailed. So coming into season five, I think they always had a tall mountain to climb in terms of matching that same level of quality. And for me, it doesn't necessarily do that. It doesn't reach the same heights as season four. But again, The Crown is similar to many other shows that I highly love that we've seen come across television over the past few years, where this is the type of show that never dips below a certain level of quality. 
for a certain time, Game of Thrones was that way before, you know, things tapered off at the end. Mm-hmm. For me, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, that entire universe has always been that way. I just feel like I'm in good hands. They never did below a certain level of quality. And so I think The Crown falls into that category. I still mostly enjoy myself here. I was really, really enthralled by the drama that was taking place. The The central conflict of this season is just the 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 fallout and the breakdown of the the marriage between prince charles and diana that's the whole focal point of this season just seeing how everything between those two just really tore apart and how they just dealt with that and just the fallout of their of their divorce and it was it was gripping to see and i think elizabeth debicki stepping into the role of diana this season did a phenomenal job she mostly has to play just like diana and act just like her and do the same mannerisms but you know for somebody so well known I don't know if there's really many other options you can do besides doing that. Some people mm-hmm. just kind of want an impersonation as opposed to like, oh, this is like a unique take on Diana. It's just she's a real life figure. There's a lot of sensitivity around Diana as a person. And so she she mostly plays her as as a, as a, as a level of imitation. But I think that that's fine. I think she did a really, really tremendous job. And Dominic West, I really enjoyed everything he did here. Fans will know him from his work on The Wire. He was McNulty. But him coming in here mm-hmm. doing this you know, more dramatic role was just a pleasure pleasure to see. And I, I loved all the episodes that focused on him. The elements of the series that don't always work, which The Crown has always done, sometimes there are storylines and episodes that don't necessarily tie into the main storyline that they're telling. It doesn't necessarily fall in line with the royal family. It kind of explores some other characters, some new supporting players that come into, come into the action. And those things just don't always match up to the same level of heights that you expect out of the royal family, the central drama that's there, the mm-hmm. the infidelity, the cheating, the love, the the falling out of love, just that that juicy stuff that we kind of want to see. And so when those things were introduced, that kind of took me out of it occasionally, but it still it still was fine. It still never was necessarily boring. I just wasn't as invested as I would be in my main characters. The last thing that I'll say, which has kind of been a main talking point of not only this season, but the crown as a whole, is just the the level of historical accuracy, which I feel like we have this conversation all the time when we're talking about <laughs> biopics and biographical dramas, things based on real people. Listen, folks, me personally, I can't speak for anybody else. I don't come to a Netflix series thinking it's going to be a documentary. I expect that they are going to tell the best story that they can tell based on these real people. Absolutely. But they are going to craft a story in which they have to make up some stuff because None of us were in those rooms when they were having these private conversations. None of us are behind the doors of of the royal family or of Buckingham Palace. Like, we weren't there. So we have to kind of, you know, do some composites, make some things up, you know, maybe embellish a little. And that's fine by me. I'm here to watch a Netflix drama, not a documentary. And so I think that there's a lot of criticism levied at the show because of things that are maybe not always necessarily true. And, and sometimes, you know, people that were connected to those situations have stepped away from the show and don't no longer want to be involved, which is okay. But I think you just have to level set your expectations on what you what you want out of this series. And for me, mm-hmm. just watching it purely as a drama and not as like a historical piece of text that I'm supposed to take as fact, I think that this is always mostly a home run and and I enjoy it as that. So that's kind of my stance on it. But overall I think that this is still a great season, a great penultimate season that's setting up season six, which is going to have a really, really monumental task of Wrapping up this stuff, handling some very delicate life events, uh, some really traumatic stuff, notably the death of Princess Diana, which they certainly have to get around to. I don't mm-hmm. envy the position Peter Morgan is in, but if anything goes to show, he's he's just done a tremendous job for five seasons in my mind all the way up until this point. So I have full faith and confidence that he'll be able to stick the landing. But it'll be interesting to see how they handle all of this stuff, especially considering 
everything we know recently about the royal family and the fact that Queen Elizabeth is now passed on and yeah. that might somehow factor into all of this. I don't know what that exactly looks like or if they plan to explore that at all, but that probably is certainly a conversation that they're having at this point. But for me, definitely, it, it, it knocks it out of the park. The last thing I'll just quickly say, just to pass it over to you if you have any reactions, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at the Emmys next year because this is going to go head-to-head with success, Succession Season 4, I think, Season 4 we're going to get. Um, mm. Succession and the Crown have been just tossing back and forth the crown for like, no pun intended, <laughs> for the past like few years in terms of like outstanding yeah. drama. They're going to go head-to-head next year at the Emmys, and I can't wait to see that matchup. But yeah, those are my thoughts on the crown. Man, what a show that's just been around for a long time now. Um, that, of course, I still haven't gotten to, but it's 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 always on top of, like you said, Emmys pop up. I just know the crown is going to be there, or you know, when Netflix is ready to do some big promotions, I know the crown's going to be in the in the, in the in the film reel, or I know they're going to be in the promotion. I just know the crown has just been you know pretty pretty consistent. I think stagnant um, at, at Netflix for a while. You know, Netflix always has its like shows that are beloved to them you know it's always the core shows and the crown is definitely in there again among your stranger things and you know all that so it's actually crazy to think about that these things are ending like the crown's gonna be gone soon stranger things is gonna be gone soon it's like okay netflix (laughs) what y'all gonna do (laughs) when these people start to disappear um i think that stuff is crazy but uh i'm 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 still you know glad to hear that the crown is at least maintaining some sort of of its integrity and it's 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 quality you know to be honest uh i think that's always good to hear if a show can uh maintain that especially next season is season five or this season season five which, which this one is, is season five so the next one is season this six. is season five crazy man that's a lot people don't be even understand that's a lot of seasons <laughs> for certain shows man uh so again to see that it's, it's been going for this long is absolutely insane so we'll, like you said we'll see how they end hopefully they end on a good note um still can't get around to it but man like you said they got a lot of a lot of stuff to do with the with princess diana and all this stuff around that you said the death of the queen i don't i ain't probably not gonna touch that bro that's scary <laughs> it's really scary i yeah, yeah you, you're probably right it's too it's too raw it's too new for a lot of people i mean hell even that incident in and of itself just directed so much ire back towards the crown i think i think the mm. crown just caught some strays because of her passing High you know you key. had dame judy dench like wait a second the fuck is the crown doing over here oh yeah they are about to come back i'm gonna write an open letter to netflix y'all need to put a disclaimer on every episode because this is not historical fact this is fiction so yeah i agree they probably will just steer clear away from that stuff and just leave it on a note that wraps up the show wraps up this all-encompassing 70-year story but you know don't necessarily get to that that obviously that pivotal event that happened earlier this year because it would be it would be quite a large undertaking but we'll we'll certainly have to see but those are our thoughts on season five of the crown if you've checked out the most recent episodes on netflix definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're done with our reviews we got to transition to the news of the week but before we do that we have to talk about des's experience this past weekend at anime nyc which is quite possibly the premier anime convention in New York City, which I know you have attended before and you got a chance to go back again this past weekend and attend some of the exhibitions, some of the panels. And so, man, I'll pass it over to you to just talk about your experience. What did you think about this year's edition of Anime NYC? Man, um, this is, I think, my third Anime NYC. That being said, also, uh, this is the fifth anniversary of Anime NYC. So it was a little mini celebration, I think, going on. Um but man, it's 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 been very interesting, man. It's been a, a, a kind of some bittersweet stuff overall. Absolutely, still a great weekend. 
some of the panels were fire. Hajime Isayama, who's the creator of Attack on Titan, had a whole panel um, that, that 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 was really dope. There's a couple good Crunchyroll panels. The show floor seemed uh, shoot dope as ever. A lot of people had a lot, a lot of good setups for TV shows, where there's Spy Family and Chainsaw Man, and it's just a, a another good weekend to be among um, like-minded people, man, who are who are excited uh, to to. I guess celebrate all things anime. Um, and, and, and that being said, it's really dope, man. It really is. Uh, the 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 unfortunate still communal side of things. It felt weird. It felt like a weird weekend where it didn't feel as conventional for some reason. It's New York Comic Con always feels like a convention. Anime NYC always feels more like a meetup. And I think that I'm speaking from in terms of I, I probably like black community things where like there you have your friends that's pulling up, you know, and and, and everything like that. Something about comic-con including everything and anime nyc just being anime that just makes it feel like a meetup it really is the convention where i'd say more black people pull up to anime nyc than comic-con um and and i think for that a lot of people do treat it as i'm just going to see my friends or or, or this and that it really is sometimes it's not it doesn't feel like as many moments to enjoy the actual convention it doesn't feel like there's many people like actually going to the panels that are being offered or actually walking the show floor as they should um, when it comes to that. And so for that, it felt just a, a, a little bit off. I actually also think the energy of these other conventions just slowed this one down a little bit. There's so much going mm. on between DreamCon. Literally a month ago was New York Comic Con. So this one felt just more chill, um, which in a lot of ways I wasn't mad at. <laughs> but in other ways, again, it, it just – I. The spirit of a convention of being excited to be there just wasn't all the way there for me um, this year. Even though I did still enjoy myself, so it it, it was a very uh, uh, I think yeah interesting weekend in that way. But overall, met a lot of new people, made a lot of new connections. Um, it, there is every time I leave, I'm like, man, I have a lot of anime to watch, and it's like stuff that's always been on my list. But, like, they reiterate it when you go back. You're like, yeah, you still haven't seen this, have you? I'm like, no, <laughs> I haven't. Um, and, and some of that stuff is embarrassing, man. Bleach, One Piece, this is a huge anime. JoJo's Bizarre World. These are, like, everybody's cosplaying these people, you know? Um, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I know who, what character you are, but I have no idea what you did in the anime because I still haven't <laughs> watched these long-ass animes yet. Uh, One Piece is sitting over a 1,000 episodes. Lord have mercy. Not a lot of filler. I don't even know how it's possible. Uh, it's pretty insane. Bleach is making a crazy comeback. I'm hearing today, the episode that came out yesterday is like one of the craziest episodes of Bleach ever. After they took a super long hiatus for them to come back, well, that's that's good news. Um, but and then the energy of Mob Psycho season three is here. Spy Family is very fresh and new. People love Chainsaw Man is very fresh and new. In fact, it's probably the most cosplayed. Anime of the weekend is Chainsaw Man. Different characters from that property, um, which is something I do read and watch. Uh, not as much energy from from Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen like last year, which makes sense. They're both kind of on, you know, uh, hiatus and not as fresh as those other animes. I said they're still beloved and we still love them, but again, they're just taking a little chill. So, uh, uh, man, another good weekend. I, I love seeing black people exist in those spaces. I always will. Um, I just wanted to show up to the Comic Con a little bit more because. Some of that, there are things in comics that just exist. You know, it's very rare in Japanese culture and anime manga culture that 
we have representation, but we do have a lot of that good representation in 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 comics. And so I, I know anime and uh, manga is technically more accessible, but I still would love us to put a little bit more energy in saying, oh, no, there's black characters over here that we could also, you know, love to appreciate in the comic world. Um, so so just looking for a lot of that stuff uh, as well. But man, still absolutely recommend going to Anime NYC. Pull up next year. Be ready to buy tickets. It's always a good time. The panels are always really good. The cosplays are really good. Which, last thing I will add is, there was a little less cosplay this year. Which I think is the energy of Comic-Con. Like, I think it just sucked yeah. out everything. Like, Comic-Con yeah. just was just, I don't know. I think last year, because of the pandemic, everybody was excited to go the whole year. Like, everybody was ready to do the thing. Like, cosplay was wild last year. But this year, it's a little bit more toned down, I think, because there's uh, uh, we've been around people a little bit more this year. So I think, I think again, a little bit, a lot, a little bit of that energy has just been uh, uh, placed in in, in, in in different ways. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to Anime NYC next year and in all the future um, conventions to come. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a tough road, you know. You 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 hit you hit a lot of these cons, man. It's definitely a tough road that can catch up to you. So I I, sure. I mean I I get it. I get the energy level. I mean this is coming at the the end of the year, you know, after a bunch of big conventions, especially like after being away for for such a long time, and people are now getting back to them in in really big big bold ways, which is which is certainly great to see. Um, outside of like what you expected to you know sort of come across, were there any surprises, any like big uh, surprise announcements that people didn't necessarily see coming? New show announcements, new anime announcements that 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 people you know sort of tapped into and have their eyes in, in in anticipation really behind, or was it mostly kind of the things that you expected to see out of the convention this year? Uh, mainly expected things, I will say. I'm a big fan of Trigun. If people ever heard of Trigun, Bash the Stampede used to come on. Uh, uh, either it wasn't Toonami, but it was like late night Adult Swim. I think probably a little bit of Toonami as well. But they're uh redoing that manga and anime in a new art form, a new art style. I think it's more CGI now. Um, and I know that was one of the the big panels that came out of the weekend. No really big surprises though. The the way some of this anime just works is like. They tell you a new show's coming out. People check it out and hope in anime. You're like, I hope I like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's all really you can do uh, for some of this stuff. So hopefully, like, that is the surprise. It's like, oh, they they announced this new anime. We watched it and everyone loves it. You know what I mean? So hopefully that's the new anime. Studio Trigger is is uh, the proponent of some of those who uh, Studio Trigger actually did some stuff for Star Wars Visions. They were they were part of a couple of those shorts, um, but. Yeah, man. I don't I don't think anything else was like super, super big. It's more like discovery. Like it's more like waiting a couple more weeks and months until the things they were announcing actually come out to see how they do. So, yeah. Certainly makes sense. Well, those are our thoughts on Anime NYC. If you happen to attend the convention this past weekend, definitely hit us up and let's hear your thoughts about it. Let us know what you thought about Anime NYC this year. And with that being said, We'll now transition to the news of the week. We got a lot to cover. It's been a crazy, crazy week. And first off, we have to start with a huge bombshell out of the world of Disney. We have a few Disney items and a few other studio items. But from Disney, we just found out last night, Bob Iger will be returning as the chief executive officer of Disney, replacing his successor, Bob Chapek, after Bob Chapek has only served really a little bit over a year as the CEO of the company, Bob Iger notably served as CEO for the better part of 15 years before finally retiring and stepping away. 
Bob Chapek has taken the reins over for the past couple of years, most notably during the pandemic era, but he has now essentially been fired by Disney, and they brought back Bob Iger to take the reins back from the recent reign of Bob Chapek. This is this is just this is absolutely shocking news on so many different levels. I mean, there's so many ways to look at this. I think the first notable thing is to say that Bob Iger, who was previously CEO and chairman, is maybe the most successful and well-known modern media executive ever. Mm, I mean, just based yeah. off of the moves that he was able to make. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's up there in terms of notoriety, I think, in the same ranks as Steve Jobs, which was kind of his contemporary and, and colleague for, for a number of years. But Bob Iger was so successful during his tenure at Disney, really comp- catapulting them to becoming the most powerful media conglomerate in the world. He really left the legacy in terms of not only purchasing Pixar, but also purchasing Lucasfilm and purchasing Marvel, which we know those three companies have bolstered all of their strategic plans in every division of their company. And in addition to that, Bob Iger was the architect of Disney+, Plus, and that was kind of the last huge thing that he did before he exited the company and chose his successor in Bob Chapek. Now, the past couple of years have been a little rocky for Disney. What I will say is just like a disclaimer, Bob Chapek inherited the company in probably the worst possible timing and in, in, in era that you can inherit anything. And that was <laughs> at the height of the pandemic. I think the pandemic started like maybe two or three or four weeks after he finally took over for the company. But in that time, man, he's not necessarily made a uh, made a great name for himself. There's been a lot of controversy about the way he's handled things. The Scarlett Johansson Black Widow situation happened under his watch. Mm. Pixar has been a company that I think has suffered because of some of the decisions he's made in mm. terms of theatrical versus Disney Plus releases, his viewpoints on animation, the way that he handled things with the LGBTQ plus com- community in Florida legislation, the Disney Plus streaming numbers and and this is really coming off of the heels of a quarterly earnings call that they had a few days ago in which the outlook was looking somewhat grim things were down across the board numbers were down except actual subscriptions to disney plus those numbers were up but in terms of actual earnings in their many divisions things were down and bob chapek was planning to implement a series and round of layoffs and hiring freezes which we've seen a lot of these huge companies do in the past few weeks just due to the the inflation and the apparent recession that we're in. What do you think about this whole thing, man? This is a, this is a really, really crazy situation. Again, Bob Iger coming out of retirement when, when he thought he was going to be able to go ahead and relax. He's now coming back to take over the reins. We don't know necessarily how long, but this all really came about over the weekend. I read a report from, I think it was CNBC that said pretty much the executive board reached out to Bob Iger on Friday and by Sunday they made a deal happen and that was how it all went down. So what are your thoughts on this? How do you feel about it? What does the outlook of Disney look like over the next few years? This is all just funny coming off the Atlanta episode. I don't know why. This is all just so hilarious. But the fact that the board voted behind his dude's back, got Bob Iger, called him up, was like, hey, bro, (laughs) we can't do this no more and got and they got Bob Iger back in there is, I mean, for that to happen so, as fast as it did, clearly there's some shit that was not okay. Like, that the board is like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Like, we really have to go a separate direction. And it's also interesting. We were talking about this off podcast about Strange World in particular, where we're like, where's the marketing for this movie? What's up with this Disney animation and the things that are happening? I don't know. Like, it's it's crazy that, you know, Disney can say one thing, but for us to be able to feel it or for us to be able to see some of those things from the outside looking in, is, is I think it's very interesting. 
I will say the internet loves this. Internet is like, hell yeah, Bob Iger's back. <laughs> they are kicking it right now. Like I seen some comments on oh, Twitter man. that was like, hell yeah, this is great news. And I, I can't say I completely disagree. I really can't, man. There's some things that just feel weird right now in the realm of Disney. Um, we also talked about a little bit off off podcast too, in that in that kind of in that same vein. But he was like Bob Shape talking about some when when kids go to sleep, adults want something to watch. I'm like, do you know who you work for? <laughs> do you even know where you are bro like okay. animation is the cornerstone of your company it literally would not exist without animation like what are you like, saying what? right now what are you talking about <sighs> man so i think i think this dude really uh i i think he wanted to take the company in new directions that didn't make sense for the company and i think that's like that in itself is is the the, the board was like yeah this is not what we thought it was going to be, you know, kind of type thing. They thought he was the next person to take the reins, who could who could do things that, that Bob Iger, you know, was was setting up for. But it seems like his ideas in leadership just weren't adding up, just weren't giving them the returns in which they expected. Of course, from a business standpoint, the board is like, "Oh, what's going on here?" But from a consumer standpoint, I'm like, "Also, what's going on here?" Like, strange world. I feel like it should be everywhere. When a Pixar movie comes out. It, everybody knows the Pixar movie's coming out. I was talking to my friend at Anime NYC this weekend. And they were like, oh, yeah. I, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a ton of stuff coming out next week. They were like, like what? I was like, Strange World, the new uh, uh, animated film from Disney. And they were like, the, the what? <laughs> What's coming out? The fact that somebody says that as, as young and in touch with social media as we are is crazy to me. Like, people don't know what Strange World is. And I think that's, that, that's a very small indicator, I think, of the bigger picture, though, that something there's a disconnect happening and so uh of course i didn't know bob shape personally i don't know all the moves he was making personally or you know that he was actually doing but i just feel like if a board decides to do something that's a that's a majority vote you know what i'm saying that's not like one yeah. guy that was like we're not messing with this it's like a group of people that's like this is not our vision this is not the way we want to go so we got to take action to do that and so I think that being said, I I can't say I'm mad at it. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Bob Iger's back. He is older. I'm hopefully I'm, my hope is that this is interim because it's, I think somebody like that should have time to rest. You know what I mean? As Bob Iger wanted to, but uh, uh, I can't say I blame you know the the board for for doing this completely either. Just because of everything that seems to be going down. Again, I'm. It's not like I'm in the boardroom, but yeah, it's 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 a very interesting thing going on here. No, no, without question. I mean, Bob Iger is kind of mythical within the history of Disney just for what he was able to accomplish before he was even CEO. He worked for mm -hmm. such a long time within the company, he started off with ABC, you know, so he's been with them for the better part of 50 years. I, I, you know, if you're at all interested in Bob Iger as a person or just like business and, you know, how Disney really forged its new path to success over the past 20 to 25 years, I, I would encourage people to read his book. I listened to the audio book a couple of years ago, and it's it's a it's a fascinating read. But you can just tell that the guy has he has something to his his wiring and the way that he thinks and the way that he views everything that Disney has at their disposal. And he sees the value in everything, and he's able to mm -hmm. really extrapolate it and turn it into just an embarrassment of riches. What that's really what his tenure was about. Again, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, that all came under his watch. And look what they are now. Because of those acquisitions, it turned Disney into a behemoth, literally an unstoppable media force. That's why they are the, the king of the box office. They're at the top of the charts every single year. So anybody that was going to come after Bob Iger 
had a really, really difficult task to following yeah. up that legacy, which he might be considered maybe the most successful CEO, not only in Disney history, but maybe in, again, modern media history ever. So yeah. anybody in that position was going to, you know, have a have a tough road ahead of them. But Bob Chapik, what I found just over observing him, as you said, not knowing him, of course, but the guy doesn't necessarily have the 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 personable nature that I think Iger mm-hmm. has. Like Iger is just a charming guy yeah. who feels personable. If you've ever watched him at those media presentations or heard him on an earnings call or if you ever seen him at a premiere like if you watch it on youtube i i always saw him at the movie premieres you know on these youtube channels like they they would do the big marvel premieres or star wars he was always there and there were a lot of those where i didn't see chapik around i'm like well where Mm -hmm. where's your ceo he's not present he should be the face of the company and chapik wasn't always present and then when he did speak he kind of just tripped over his words and said some things where it's like oh well why would you say that bro and then you look at, at his relationships and how he deals with talent, and they just didn't always pan out. The Scarlett Johansson situation is a clear-cut example of that. Mm-hmm. The Pixar treatment, there have been a lot of rumblings within that company about how un, unsatisfied many of their employees are because of... It just seems like Pixar has been reduced to just a streaming only. This is all we're doing. We're producing films, these high-quality-ass films for a streaming platform, which Pixar has never been that. They have been the most quality animated films that we probably get these days. And the fact that they haven't had really successful output in theaters in what, three or four years now, that should be alarming for people. And I think that that's another contributing factor. And then just, you know, the pivots and everything that he was looking to do. I mean, Chapek comes from, he comes from the park side of things. He comes from consumer experiences in the theme parks. And so I think his way of managing things there just didn't translate to the overall vision of the company. Obviously, the parks are one of their biggest revenue-generating sources. I think it's second on the list of their divisions, but there's just a certain delicacy and a certain way that you have to maneuver relationships, especially with talent, that, that, that you know, you can't necessarily learn that. That's just a skill that kind of mm-hmm. comes naturally that you can acquire over a long, long period of time, and Iger, you know, has demonstrated that time and time again. So it'll be interesting to see what the next few years look like. I think he's mandated that this only be a two-year thing, so that they can set up a succession plan to get somebody else in. Because as you said, the the man is, he's getting up there in age and you know, he can't do this for the rest of his life. And so they have to, they have to get people ready to be able to take on this mantle because it's a massive, massive undertaking. In other Disney news, we found out that a new original series based on Indiana Jones is being developed for Disney plus. Now we know Indiana Jones five is coming out theatrically next year. Empire Magazine has been rolling out some exclusive images over the past few weeks. A trailer is on the horizon. I can feel it. It's probably going to drop this week, maybe tomorrow after we've dropped the podcast. But they're going to make an original series for Disney+. Plus. Harrison Ford has said that this will be the last time he plays Indy, which makes sense. He's in his 80s. It should be. They should move on. But what is this series? Is it a young Indiana Jones? Is it a spinoff character? Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to be in the new one. Is it maybe going to be based off of her character? I don't really know what this all means because we don't really have a sense of what the story of Indy 5 is going to be. I think all we know is that it's set in 1969, which is, you know, probably about a decade plus after the most recent one kingdom of the crystal skull. It will be the last time we see Harrison Ford boot up as Henry Jones jr. But I don't really know what the show is going to be based and centered on. Do you have any thoughts as to, as to what they can do and, and how they can continue the story of Indiana Jones on Disney plus? I don't. I really don't, man. Um, I, maybe it is the young Indiana Jones Chronicles reborn, you know, where they 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 do step into what what young the things yeah, the adventures that young Indiana Jones um, had to go through. I really think this is a, they're trying to figure out a way, as everyone is, 
for the new generation to appreciate some of the older stuff you know um i think that's really what this is they're trying to find a way to say hey kids come watch indiana jones and then you're you can go watch all the other movies or go see the new movie when it comes out or you know things like that i really think that's what it is man it indiana jones is one of the you know really keystones in film like everybody knows indiana jones moments and has 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 uh seen them lived them know what harrison ford brought to them and so i really think this is this is just that this is them saying how can we do that and i think if if they go with young indiana jones they do uh uh get those young audience members who who go okay this is for me like this this tv show's for me let's let's get this cracking and so i that's my guess on what's going on. It could be something else. I have no idea. Um, I doubt it's older Indiana Jones. <laughs> I really doubt that. Um, it could, if it was, I guess it could be cool if he had like a adventuring prodigy, something like that. You know what I mean? It's almost like Batman Beyond, but for Indiana Jones, oh I don't know goodness. what that looks like. Uh, shoot, get Shia LaBeouf is back somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, but. <laughs> I don't know but, if you want to do that one. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I don't know. No, but it's, it's yeah. That's all. That's the only thing I can really think of. But who knows? They might have another idea. Yeah, it kind of has to be Young Indy in my mind. Um, I, I, I don't, it's said the, the whole franchise is based on a guy, one guy. It's it's not like there's a ton of exactly. world building that happens within Indiana Jones. As amazing as it is, it's, it's very much central to the, to the adventures of one individual, and that's been Henry Jones. But they did do Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. As you said, this could be just like a reimagining of that, of course, properly set within this universe that, you know, allows Disney to pick whoever they want their young actor to portray him as, um, which could be fun. I mean, listen, if you give us something that's more regular in terms of these archaeological adventures that we can see a younger Indiana Jones go on, I mean, there's there's a lot of untapped stuff there that they could do. We've never really gotten that properly. And so I'd be here for it. You just have to cast somebody that's as charismatic and as reliable as Harrison Ford has been for <laughs> 50 plus years, you know, and that that's 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 big shoes to fill. But I think that they they could definitely find somebody that could take up the mantle. So I'd be interested in that. But maybe also seeing the film whenever we do get it. Hopefully it does come out next June as it's slated to. Maybe that'll give us a sense of what that might be. We might be introduced to a new character that we're just unfamiliar with that we have no idea exists. And all of a sudden we find out, oh, that's the person we're going to focus on as we move towards the future. So we might just have to stick by and see. In other Disney moves, in terms of something that's not going to be happening anymore, we just found out that the uh, the reboot of Pirates of the Caribbean that was supposed to star Margot Robbie is no longer moving forward at Disney. Um, she just recently revealed in an interview as she's been leading up to the press for her brand new film, Babylon, that they had a script and they had some ideas together, but ultimately it seems like Disney does not want to move forward. We first heard about this a couple of years ago, coming off of the heels of Birds of Prey, and they were going to make a female-centric Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't think it would have been all female necessarily. They would have had some male characters, of course, but it would have been more focused on some female pirates. But apparently it's no longer moving forward. Um, I can't say that I'm that surprised by this. I, I, I never necessarily bought into this idea just because, if we're being honest, Pirates of the Caribbean, much like... Much like Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, I'd have to say Pirates of the Caribbean is Johnny Depp. And he is very, very crucial to that franchise, and that's why it's been so successful. We know about the controversies and the things that Johnny Depp has dealt with. He will not be attached to this by any means, and you know Disney has pretty much cut off all contact with him. But 
it's hard to see Pirates of the Caribbean without him front and center at it. So the fact that this isn't moving forward, although there might have been something interesting here, Margot Robbie is a great, great talent. I'm just not that surprised because I don't know. I don't know if there's anything necessarily to crack here that would have been all that interesting to explore. Yeah, I don't I don't think there is either. Um, again, I could just imagine somebody was like, why are we doing this again? And then everyone was like, we don't know. <laughs> then they just scrapped it. Um, I, I really do see that. It, like you said, Pirates of Caribbean without Johnny Depp is, I don't know what we're doing here. Like, why are we here? Um, and I think that's also, again, part of the decision. So not too much to add to that, man. I just don't think they was feeling it. Um, I, of course, we love Margot Robbie. It's tremendous. But I think hopefully maybe they'll find something else for her to do within the, the realm of, I guess, Disney. Yeah, you could say. So we'll see. We will see in terms of projects moving forward in our last Disney news item. Thankfully, Marvel has now found a new director for their upcoming Blade film starring Mahershala Ali. We obviously know that earlier this year, Bassam Tariq stepped back as a director of Blade and that has led to a domino effect of setbacks and delayed releases. The film has been delayed by about 10 months now, but they have found a new director and Marvel has tapped the Lovecraft Country director, Jan Demange, um, to direct the film. And so he's coming off of Lovecraft Country. I'm not sure how many episodes he directed as a part of that series, but he's going to be coming in. Um, and also Michael Starbury, um, who is an Emmy-nominated writer, was also brought on to the, to the team as well, the creative team. So they are making moves on this Blade film. It seemed kind of dark there for a while in terms of what the development of the film was going to be. There were a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, and seemingly some frustration but marvel as they do they press forward and they figure out a way so they now have a new creative team behind the scenes for this movie does this give you hope about just what the future outlook of blade might be in the next couple of years man uh i just like that we're picking new directors you know uh, we talked about that quite extensively on this podcast and, and and i'm glad to see um that they're going with Jan, you know Jan damage in a couple you know different ways of course i have to say i, I think i'm rooting for um yeah this this movie in in, in all of his glory I, I, I was looking i think you only did the pilot episode of lovecraft country which is you know also probably one of the most watched <laughs> um so it's uh i i have to say i'm i'm in the camp of let's do it let's see what it looks like um also love that they are getting the right uh they they bring a new writer on so again man more than anything i just want these things taken uh or uh, done with care, and it seems like, you know, them bringing on new people who, you know, a lot of people said today when Yon Demange got added um, as director, a lot of people were like, okay, maybe we are going in a darker direction, because Love Got Country is pretty, <laughs> pretty, you know, he did set a tone, with, if he is the one that did the pilot, you know what I'm saying, he did set a tone for that TV show, so hopefully that does speak to, you know, his ability to direct something as dark as Blade. Um, so yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it and we'll see, we'll see what happens, um, in the work that they do. Yeah. Listen, uh, even with the setbacks that Marvel has had lately with production, I mean, one of their biggest, I think key contributing factors to their success is just their ability to pivot and to pivot quickly and be decisive in their decisions and to kind of stick behind their vision. And, uh, we just saw that recently with the armor war show. I know Nate Moore just came out and talked about the fact that the whole decision behind making armor wars a movie is the fact that. As a TV series, it just became too cost prohibitive. When you're talking about a bunch of Iron Man suits and armor and just this bigger scope of a story, they were just like, yeah, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money, so we probably should make it a movie. And so that came quickly, and we speculated about it, but here we are. It's going to be a movie. And so I think the same thing here with Blade, 
They have now moved in a different direction from a creative standpoint. I think this new writer is just signaling that they are kind of going back to the drawing board to develop a new story that might be it might incorporate some of the original ideas, of course, from the original script that was developed. I don't think they'll just completely toss it out, but they are kind of going back to the drawing board to make sure that this is going to be something worth seeing, especially, you know, with the talent of Mahershala Ali leading this film. So I'm still hopeful for this movie, even though it's, you know, a little bit further away than we anticipated. I'm still hopeful and I'm just glad that they are still making movement because I was wondering about it the other day. I'm like, I just hope that this doesn't fall by the wayside. I hope it doesn't end up as a potential cancel project or something that gets even delayed further. It sounds like they are actually making progress, which is always reassuring to see. And other Marvel news, but from the Sony side of things, apparently, to the surprise of everyone, because we all just wondered if this would actually happen, Tom Holland has signed a new Spider-Man deal. Um, perhaps, and I'm being sarcastic, it, it's the most unsurprising news ever. I mean, we we knew Tom <laughs> Holland was coming back at some point. They made no secret about it. He's He's been pretty open about it himself. He doesn't want to do the role for the rest of his life, of course, but it appears that they might have struck in a deal. Now, this isn't confirmed. And none of the major trades have reported on it, but some insiders, some connected insiders have talked about what this deal could look like. And it started from Culture Spider on Twitter, um, who said that Tom Highland is signed on for a number of projects between Marvel Studios and Sony. And allegedly there will be six projects. And also Jeff Snyder, who's another insider, has backed up that this is the case, that Tom Holland is back. He has signed something of a deal. We don't know exactly the contents of that deal. We don't know for how long. We don't know how many projects. But the speculation says that it'll be six projects, which I think I think it tracks based on previous deals. And so if it were to be six projects, I think we could count on a new Spider-Man trilogy, Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6. Likely, he would also appear in the two upcoming Avengers movies, The King Dynasty and Secret Wars. Now, the last one that seems to be a little bit of a question mark is the sixth project. What would that be? Now, the rumor was saying that it might be Daredevil Born Again, which is going to be the Disney Plus series. Mm-hmm. As exciting as that sounds... To see Daredevil and Spider-Man team up, especially after what we saw in No Way Home, to me that feels unlikely just because I don't see in any world in which Marvel or even less Sony would allow the Spider-Man character in live action to be on Disney Plus. And I don't I don't know how that factors in, you know, a series versus a movie deal, you know, how that contractually would work out. They could have just written that in if that is the case. But, you know, a six picture deal is very different than a five picture deal plus a TV series, because now you have to account for. The amount of episodes and time spent, you know, it's a it's a whole thing. So I don't think Daredevil Born Again is likely and it might not even be six projects. It might just be five. But what do you think about the likelihood of it being Daredevil Born Again as the sixth potential project? And if it's not that, then what else could it possibly be? Where else could we see Tom Holland perhaps showing up in the future MCU? Oh, boy, it is. That's hard to tell. It really is. Um Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6, Kane Dynasty, Secret Wars, but where would that sixth movie actually be? Um, You know, Spider-Man is, he's just one of those characters that can go anywhere. (laughs) You you can really fit him into any and everything. Um, I, you know, we were kind of talking about in our Wakanda Forever podcast, or not podcast, but uh, Twitter space, um, about, you know, the, the effects of Tony Stark. And it, I think it makes sense for Peter to maybe pop up in one of those things where Tony Stark is his presence is felt. Right. Um, I don't think it'll be an Ironheart or anything like that. But if 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 Armor Wars, you know, really depending on where that's going, you could have him, you know, show up in something like that where Rhodey 
Brody and Peter are talking about, you know, what's going on with uh, uh, Stark Tech, or you he could pop up in. This is going to sound crazy, but he could even as uh, we have to remember he's a scientist and like he is a mm. he is a smart cat. He could pop in in something like a Fantastic Four real quick. You know what I'm saying? That's he true. Could that's pop true. in in you know any one of these spots. So it that's a that's a really hard question. I'm not on the Daredevil Born Again train that he'll be in that. Um, all those super possible. Like, what if what if they say that and it's really just him? Like, I don't know. Like the 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 series literally starts with him ending his counsel of what happened. You know, when when him forgetting mm-hmm. Spider Man or something. You know what I'm saying? Him forgetting who Peter Parker is. Like that could be a thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. It's 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 a hard one, but I think there's a lot of options, which is what makes it hard. Yeah, definitely a lot of options here at play. I mean, I think the the end result of this is regardless of whatever that six project may be, if it does in fact exist in the contract and in the mm-hmm. deal, I mean, it's just, it's happy to know that Tom Holland will be back, of course. I mean, the way that they left Spider-Man No Way Home, I mean, theoretically, you could just conclude that story there. They they kind of set it up brilliantly, but we we all want more Spider-Man. There's there's certainly more to do and new characters that we want to see, to, see him interact with, so... I'm excited, um, and I think a new trilogy just opens up so many possibilities. But this new trilogy also perhaps is now starting to get into the home stretch of well, what are we talking about in terms of the next generation of Spider-Man? Are we going to start to try to pass mm-hmm. the mantle? Are we going to do the Miles Morales stuff? Are we going to do Gwen Stacy? What yeah. are the pieces that we're going to start to set up to ensure that Spider-Man can continue in some way after Tom Holland finally decides to say like, oh, okay, I'm 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 going to hang it up. I'm done with this role because eventually he will do so. He'll want to do other things, and so uh, at least for the time being, Spider-Man will be a part of the MCU. In other Sony Marvel news, we just found out that Amazon is going to be officially moving forward with multiple live-action Marvel Sony shows based on the Marvel characters that are currently controlled by Sony, which all falls within the Spider-Man universe. And it's going to start off with a live-action series called Silk Spider Society, which is going to be developed by The Walking Dead showrunner Angela Kang. Now, a few years ago, Sony had announced that they were doing a Silk project. It was presumably going to be a movie, mm-hmm. but they didn't—they never really made any movement on it, which, you know, a little unsurprising. They've, they've announced projects before that haven't necessarily gone anywhere, but now they've transitioned this to being a live-action show. This is also interesting because... Amazon. I mean, this is kind of out of nowhere. We know of the existing deal between Marvel and Sony for Tom Holland Spider-Man, and then we also know Sony, independently of Marvel Studios, is producing their own spin-off Spider-Man films, such as Morbius and Craven the Hunter and the Venom series. Mm-hmm. But now they have taken other properties and have decided to shop them off to Amazon as opposed to a Disney Plus. Uh this is this is a little bit shocking to me just seeing how splintered I think all of the spider properties are actually going to be. But in fact, the people behind this new round of Amazon Marvel Sony shows will be creators that have been around. Lord Miller, who have produced the mm-hmm. animated Into the Spider-Verse films, Amy Pascal, who have produced all of these Spider-Man films, will be still behind the scenes on all of this stuff. I mean, how do you feel about seeing the fact that like Amazon is going to get Spider-Man related TV series in the future as opposed to maybe even a Disney Plus? And it sounds like that none of this will be integrated into the MCU. So they're really developing their own side universe without the without the inclusion of Marvel Studios. Man, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be confusing, you know, um, just because it's, it's a lot going on, man. I can be like, that's not on Disney Plus. It's not part of the MCU. What's going on? And maybe this is the beginning of. Uh, you know, we always kind of talked about what it means to actually establish a Sony verse. 
in maybe this maybe this is it like maybe they they're trying to separate a little bit from spider-man and the mcu and, and what they do over um at sony man maybe this is the beginning maybe this is only the first show that ends up on amazon prime maybe eventually we'll, there'll be a slew of shows on on amazon prime video maybe there will be crossover events between shoot who knows silk and craven on amazon you know what i mean maybe that stuff will happen but maybe I think I think it, it we'll, we'll just have to see what their actual plan is. But it is weird, though, right? It is weird to have eventually, right? There'll be Spider-Man movies on. There will be Spider-Man movies on Disney Plus, and then we'll be like, okay, Silk is on Amazon. Like, I don't know. I just see people being confused about a lot of that stuff. So I don't I don't know what exactly they're they're trying to do, a direction they're looking for. To me, it sounds like uh, uh, Amazon also had the bag. <laughs> which oh yeah amazon is paying for everything right now again i don't know if we are paying attention but they have <laughs> lord of the rings is there they got god of war coming now they picked up a whole invincible's already here now we got a whole another superhero franchise on amazon i mean they're trying to amazon really is you know trying to trying to spice it up so in my mind i'm i'm thinking amazon and sony just they feel the same way like sony's also trying to do that you know sony's also trying to spice it up and get things going so um yeah i uh it, it's weird but i i kind of get it i think from a business standpoint yeah i mean sony is kind of the one major studio that doesn't have their own streaming platform mm -hmm. and they have made a clear stance that they don't intend to make one in, in as opposed to you know creating their own streaming service they'll they'll continue to sell their content i mean sony pictures television is one of the most prolific and most successful television production studios out there they sell a ton of shit to every network under the sun. And so I think that they're just utilizing their same strategy here. It, it, I mean, it could actually be a possibility that they shopped this off to Disney. And and as you said, mm. Amazon might have just interfered and said, oh, well, we have more money than Disney does. And so <laughs> here's the bag for real. That's very much a possibility. Or they could have just exclusively went to Amazon because they want to diversify their portfolio and maybe, you know, shop off things to, to, to numerous different companies and conglomerates because they will have the Spider-Man films on Disney Plus in, in a couple of years here. They did strike up that deal, I think it was about a year and a half ago, in which the Spider-Man, the Sony-produced Spider-Man films will be made available on Disney Plus after a certain amount of time. Currently, the deal exists within Netflix, and so that has to expire before the Disney Plus deal kicks in. But these new original shows being produced, I mean, going to Amazon, I mean, my goodness, I... I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it's a smart business move, mm -hmm. but, the, you know, also creatively, we've seen that the 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 output has been mixed in terms of whether or not we like these projects exclusively developed by Sony. From an animation standpoint, True. incredible. From a live action standpoint, eh, you know, Morbius exists. They did that. That's a they thing, that. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But we'll have to see. What do you think about Silk as a character? You know, getting getting her own show, being sort of the focal point of like the first show that they're planning to roll out on Amazon. I think it's pretty dope, to be honest. Um, Silk is is one of those characters a lot of people don't know about she uh uh she is they already have the actress like she was in 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 spider-man movies already <laughs> um and so i think i think it's it's yeah i think it's a cool direction man um cindy moon is her name uh i, I know a couple different things about her man but she's really cool she's she's spider-man but she's an uh she's an asian girl and so i think again if you want to have a tv show but you can't do it with peter parker you just pick another Spider-Man. And in, in my mind, that's what they did uh, here with Silk, you know. And so uh, uh, I think people will learn to love her, too. I think I think her being on screen will help them add a little bit of nuance to her. 
give her some there's just some things they have to write a little bit more than i think the comics wrote um but i think that's to benefit of silk like silk silk can be really dope if given the the space and the time and a tv show will do that so i'm hoping they give her that um and if so i think shoot years to come she'll be a beloved character just as much as any other spider characters are you're going to be seeing not only uh spider gwens but you're going to be seeing silks around too and i think that's a dope uh thing yeah, I agree, and I love her look. the 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 look of Silk in in Cindy Moon is like Man. really really cool. And just the and name, really too. Just, and and the, yeah, the name Silk. like everything is just so yes. different than <laughs> what we've already seen. And so there's a chance to really create something new and something fresh and original, even though it's you know going to be firmly set within the world of Spider Man. And also, I just wonder what the crossover potential for all of this stuff is. Like, is Bad Bunny as El Muerto going to be in this? Is he going to pop up? Like, what are we, <laughs> I forgot what are we about really that. <laughs> so I know, right? It's so many questions, just like random moves that they're making. It's just like, okay, this is cool, but well, what is it going to be? We'll, we'll just have to sit by and see. Um, let's switch over to another studio that's had a couple of major developments. Universal, the first being from the set of Fast and Furious 10, also known as Fast X or Fast 10 or I don't know what it's really called. We still don't have any clarity, but apparently this movie has already become the fourth most expensive film ever produced as the budget of the film has ballooned to over $340 million. That's right, $340 million. It's a lot of money. That's 70% more than the $200 million it cost to produce the most recent entry into the saga, Fast 9, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, This is being attributed to... A number of different factors, one big factor being the above-the-line cost, the cost of the talent involved, just the increased talent fees, the fact that, hey, Vin Diesel, he is not only the star, but he's a producer of this franchise, so the bag is much, much larger, as well as the rest of the ensemble cast, which is quite notably large. There are a lot of people in this movie. I don't think if I don't think folks realize that not only is Vin Diesel in this, but of course John Cena is coming back. They added Jason Momoa, Michelle Rodriguez, of course, Brie Larson, Tyrese Gibson. There, there's a lot of people involved in this movie. So the talent fees are just going up and they get more expensive as you make more of these things. And so that is a contributing factor to this increased price price tag. But also the article that broke the news mentioned, I think it was the rap. They also mentioned that COVID protocols and COVID production costs have just skyrocketed and things have become even more expensive. And then in addition to that, we're living in a time of inflation. So everything is just naturally more yeah. expensive. But this this is wild. $340 million means that this movie pretty much has to make a billion dollars on a baseline to even start to begin to turn profit. Wow. Because this isn't even taking into account the marketing costs when when it comes time to promote this movie. And I think we can... We can rest assured that they're going to spend at least, I'd say at least $120, $130 million to market this movie. Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at $460, $470 for just, you know, marketing and production costs. And in order to start to, you know, break even and turn a profit, you have to you have to not only double that, but almost triple that. So um, I just wonder, is it even possible for this movie to turn a profit at this point? What do you think about this ridiculous, crazy number? The fact that this is now like the fourth most expensive movie ever made. <laughs> And it's not even done filming. They still have more to film, so it might go up. It might it might jump to number two. Wow, I, I that's a lot of money, man. That is a, <laughs> 340 mil. You could do a lot with 340 mil right now. You could change some lives, change your own life. It is crazy. Again, I think a big portion of it is what you said with the actors. I think a lot of it is that, like, if when you got all those people in the movie, not only do they cost a lot, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them ask for more. 
Like they're like, oh, this is the next one. So I'm gonna ask yeah. for more money. Pretty sure that's Absolutely. the thing. Um, then this movie has some director stuff going on too. Oh yeah, Justin Lin left. Left, right? Who's who's directs like he's directed like five of, five of these things, and you know apparently he got fed up with Vin Diesel's apparent bullshit and the way that he acted on set, and he departs the movie. They had to find another director, which is maybe also part of it. <laughs> like maybe you know I'm sure there was a lot of stuff you know going on there. So uh, that being said, man, um, I think it's still possible for it to make its money. It's just fast. It's something about this damn franchise that just makes money. Like people will go. This go have fun in the theater to watch this madness. Uh, and that being said, there are there's a lot of superstars here, man. It really is, and so I think it's possible for them to make money back. I th- it's going to be hard this time around. I do have a feeling it is going to be a little bit harder this time around, just based off what the last fast um, kind of brought you know to the forefront and the way that movie felt to people and the way people were talking about that movie. But I absolutely think it's still possible. Uh, if the movie, imagine if the movie is good. That's I think that will change everything. Like if the movie is good, I think for sure this they, they can make the money. But they, they have a they have a, a, a hill to climb now. They really do. It's, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Um, and I'm hoping that we see it. I think that's another thing. A lot of times you can you say you have a big budget, and a lot of times if you don't see the budget while you're watching it, a lot of times you're like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this movie just because it didn't feel like. You know, I don't know. Sometimes the quality just wasn't as good as you thought it was going to be. But when I hear three hundred and forty million on any given day, I'm like, this movie better be fire. Um, and so hopefully the quality can back up the money. We've seen we've seen it do it. We've seen it not do it. I think it just really depends on on the way the waves go um, and how good the film is. So we'll see. Also, that three forty is what's being reported on paper. So it could, in fact, be more expensive oh because a lot God. of these studios withhold costs and with, do. withhold certain information. Just because we see a number doesn't mean that that's actually the number. So, I, listen, I, I, it's just ridiculous, you know, to, to to allow it to get to this point. But, you know, some things have been unavoidable. I mean, Justin Lin, when he walks away, he still has to get paid. Mm-hmm. And Justin Lin, because he's directed like five of these things, he could command a higher price. And as you said, the stars themselves are going to command a higher price. They're not going to ask for just like 5% more. They're probably going to ask for like 50% more than what they previously made. Like it's going to it's wow. going to skyrocket and they're going to mm-hmm. pay them because you know, the franchise has typically returned, you know, good 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 revenue for Universal, but man, I just it, it is possible, I agree. I do think it's highly unlikely, really based off of that last film which sucked ass. Mm, it was exactly. so shit, and I think a lot of people recognize that it was shit. And so the fact that they'll have to come back and win people back to the to the movies and say, like, yeah, we want everybody in the world to go see this so we can cross a bill mm-hmm. seems a little unlikely at this point. But they do have a lot of fresh new faces. Brie Larson, notable name. Jason Momoa is the film's villain, notable name. They got some other cast members that have joined. John Cena is coming back. This is the second to last one. If this was the last one, I think it would be more likely. Cause yeah. There would be Same. that FOMO, like, let's mm-hmm. go see the last one of the saga. Exactly. But the fact that it's the second to last one, it doesn't have that novelty factor. So, as you said, Tall Hill to Climb, we'll have to see what it all looks like when the movie comes out next year. And in our last news item, also from the World of Universal, this is pretty epic. Apparently, two prolific, notable producers in the world of Hollywood, Jason Blum and James Wan, are apparently in advanced talks to merge their two production companies, Jason Blum known for everything he's done over the years with Blumhouse Productions and, of course, James Wan being behind Atomic Monster. Jason Blum is probably the most successful horror movie producer ever. 
I think at this point, I think it goes without saying. I, I believe I read his films have turned north of $5 billion worth of profit. He's wow. just so well at producing a lot of horror films at very, very low budgets. And they turn out to be these cultural zeitgeisty moments that make a lot of money. And then, of course, James Wan on the creative side has been a phenomenal director over the years, has started the Saw franchise, has started the Insidious franchise, and most famously has started the Conjuring universe with his direction and his vision behind those those franchises. But he's also gotten to producing work as well. He's currently in post-production on Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, di- mm-hmm. directing that huge tempo film for DC. So he's one of our biggest directors at the current moment. So now these two are talking about coming together to create a mega house of horror in the future. I mean, this is <laughs> this is insanity to me. Uh, Jason Blum apparently wants to release up to eight movies theatrically per year. Goddamn. And then, Jam- and then James Wan, <laughs> his team at Atomic Monster is only nine people. So he has said publicly, I think to the New York Times who actually broke this, he said, you know, I just have all these ideas, but I just don't have enough time or enough people to do it. But now both of these guys have seemingly found their answers to to to, to their to their, you know, their issues in, in terms of figuring out these these new paths forward. And um, this deal is yet to be finalized, but it seems like it's going to happen. I mean, if they if they went publicly to start to start talking about this to to a major outlet like The Times, um, I, I mean, listen, there, there's no reason why they wouldn't strike up a deal. They're probably just figuring out the. The final details of it. It's also worth noting that last year, James Wan's first look deal with Warner Brothers ended, which kind of allowed mm-hmm. him and freed him up to make a deal of this nature. And Jason Blum has been with Universal for for such a long time now. So this would be Universal bringing in James Wan in addition to what they already have with Jason Blum. Um, you and I are both big horror fans, and I know you are, you know, huge follower of James Wan and supporter of his work, of course. And of course, you know, everything Jason Blum has also contributed to the genre over the past, you know, 20 plus years at this point. What, what do you think about this? Just the, 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 the possibilities that exist between these two mega producers coming together. Well, the, the thing is, they've already done it. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, and I think they're they're making a, a creative decision that just are, made sense for them. Like in a lot of ways, they were already kind of doing some of this stuff where like. Uh, uh, man, like the new Megan movie coming out. That's James Wan and Bloom. You know what I mean? Like they're already doing that. And I think they see like the success or premeditated success. I'm looking at that trailer like, yes, I'm about to go see that movie. That's something that's a movie I'm excited for just because knowing where James Wan's head is now and looking where Bloom House is now, I'm, I'm excited for that. And I think they understand that a lot of that work kind of speaks for itself, right? We talk about James Wan in, in what he did with Insidious, right? Where Bloomhouse wasn't a part of the first Insidious, but they were part of Insidious 2 and Insidious 3. Of course, not as good movies, but in terms of like them working together in some capacity that exists, I think they've kind of already been kind of doing some of this stuff. And so now it's like, man, you have the, the, the genius production company behind the purge and paranormal activity in, in, in shoot, get out was Bloomhouse, right? And then you have, James Wan, who you said saw in The Conjuring, it's just like, well, hell yeah, we should be doing this stuff together because it's it's that's what I think what makes it a behemoth um, in a lot of different ways. Because t- to be honest, uh, uh, beyond A twenty four, that's the people who we look for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's the only other really like super horry things going on. Um, and, and and so uh, I'm just excited. I think it's gonna be dope. Uh, we'll see what else they. Again, we'll see how Megan really turns out. I think this is like 
the the thing or the project that's like this is a preview of what you're going to get uh to come and i think if that does well then we'll have a better baseline of of of, of what's going yeah of what's to come so um we'll have to see man but so far from on, on paper the way it sounds i'm all for it Deadline noted in their article about this, they said, quote, the companies have collectively grossed over 11.6 billion worldwide since 2004 with horror projects making up nearly 8.5 billion of that total, end quote. So, I mean, listen, these two are the preeminent forces behind the horror genre for the past 20 years, as you said, have already worked together numerous times over. I mean, this is just kind of crazy, the timing of this, too. Because it's happening on the heels of what we just saw with James Gunn and Peter Safran mm. at Warner Brothers in D.C. And Peter Ooh. Safran has produced a lot of the films that James Wan has done over the years. And so I wouldn't be surprised if these guys just had a conversation like, hey, you know, you saw what we just did at D.C. You know, you might be able to benefit off of this if you if you look to doing something, you know, doing something similar, you know, maybe over at a different studio. Because the, 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 the genius of this deal is the fact that Blumhouse over the years... Their deal with Universal has allowed them to produce and shop around content to other studios and other streaming platforms. Blumhouse does, doesn't just make stuff for only Universal. They've made stuff for Amazon, for Prime mm-hmm. Video, and for other streaming services. So right. they can really spread their wings even more and sell off more more, more of the, you know, the films and TV series that they produce over the years. So, I mean, this allows Juan and both Blum to just have their hands in in every pot possible and they could sell stuff back to to warner brothers even though like juan won't exclusively work for them anymore i mean it's a pretty genius move and i'm happy to see it because these two guys are just so reliable for the most part in terms of what they do and again as you said they've been doing it so the fact that they'll just like ink it in paper and make it like an official deal for the next you know few years or the foreseeable future it just it just adds up so we'll have to see what the what the output looks like but those are all of our news items um before we wrap up here today we do have to Talk briefly about two people we've lost over the past week or so, uh, two notable 90s icons. I mean, I just felt like my childhood just kind of got ripped out of me over these past few days. Uh, Last week, we found out that Kevin Conroy, the longtime voice actor of Bruce Wayne and Batman in many animated projects, most notably the Batman animated series of the early 90s, as well as many subsequent series and feature films, passed away. He had a long battle with cancer and unfortunately succumbed to it recently and died at the age of 66 and just a day ago we found out the original green power rangers from the mighty Morphin power rangers series of the early 90s jason david frank passed away at the age of 49 and unfortunately and tragically um has committed suicide and um it's just really sad to see him go in that particular way and to see both of these guys go um at, at at relatively early ages i mean 49 is crazy young and 66 is also one of those ages you look at and say like there's still time there there's still more to do and kevin conroy was such a fixture i know for both of us and for so many people he is batman he is the definitive batman even though the live action piece of it was largely missing his voice just gave the heart to batman that people had long sought after and Jason David Frank, even outside of being an actor and being a part of the, you know, Power Rangers franchise for such a long time, was also a martial artist. You know, he was so skilled in combat and, and you know, contributed so greatly to, to what that franchise meant for the past 30 plus years. So, man, just two two icons of the 90s that, that, that just passed away this past week. It's really unfortunate and really sad to see. I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't I don't really know how to talk about these guys in like a way that's 
services them because they're that iconic, man. They're that meaningful to, I think, a lot of the, the, you know, the people of our generation who did turn out like us, who are, you know, nerds in a lot of different ways, who love pop culture in, in the ways in that we do, man. This is just even, the fact that we're even talking about this is like, where are we? Like, what is actually happening? Batman and Tommy? I don't even know how to like, I still haven't wrapped my head around it, to be honest, because they meant that much, man. They really, they really did change. I think they didn't even change. They molded in a lot of ways the landscape of what a lot of us will become. This, this is, uh, uh, you know, it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm really at a loss because it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It just hurts, man. This is like, a lot of times when, when I think about Jason David Frank, which is actually more often than I make it seem like, just because I, I see him at conventions in terms of like, you know, he's going to be signing some stuff somewhere or I see him on like a YouTube video. He, he did like a YouTube video. It was like a White Ranger versus something else. I forgot who it was. I got to find it again. But that stuff was tight. I mean, it's just Kevin Conroy. We just we're talking about Batman, of course. All the time, we're always talking about Batman. We talk about Kevin Conroy. It this is just super extra mega weird, man. To 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 have to sit here and, and, and conceptualize, but Kevin Conroy, man, that's that's Batman. He's the first iteration of Batman I heard. He's the first iteration of Batman <laughs> that I know. When still to this day, when I if Batman the voice is in my head, it's probably Kevin Conroy's voice. You know that that pops in my head. He did so much work. So, so much work, even outside of Batman, too, but so much work that you really uh, you 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 can't get it anywhere else. You know what I mean? Like he 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 is forever cemented in my mind. I'm, I'm going to have to go watch him some some, um, some Batman now. I just have to like it is what it is to, to commemorate what he gave us, man. He really he really did something that a lot of other people, I think, also can can recognize is just legendary in, in, in that we can never get back. Jason David Frank, man. Uh, I was a I need y'all to know I was a Power Ranger a lot of Halloweens. I was. It is what it like. I I love me the shit out of Power Rangers. When I was little, my auntie would babysit me. And you know what movie she used to put on? <laughs> She used to put on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, bro. And they used to be like, Dad's got really quiet all of a sudden. I'm like, yeah, because <laughs> freaking Power Rangers is on the screen. But Tommy, a lot of people know he was just the coolest. Like, there was something about his swagger. Something about him as a Power Ranger was just cool as shit, man. Um, it's not only Mighty Morphin for me either. I watched the shit out of Turbo Power Rangers the movie, y'all. Like, Turbo Power Rangers is my jam and tommy was the red ranger in that movie actually and it's i don't know man he was this dude is like it's literally a chunk of my childhood that 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 this dude actually owns um and that i've always looked up to and i knew other people love tommy as much as i did and it's he was more than the than the green ranger he was the white one and he was the green one and he was the the red one and he was the the black one i think he's in dino thunder he was the black one in that one as a more of a mentor figure and i was like yeah this this is this is crazy and to at 49 man and suicide you really don't know what people are wrestling with but this is this 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 these 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 two deaths hurt a lot man they really these are people that again i've i still have not processed it yet but they're people that will always mean um, a lot to me because they these these are childhood legends like childhood they're a part of the reason of of why I am the way I am type people, 
And so the, to say that they're gone, man, it hurts. It really does. Um, but I say condolences, of course, to their families. And and I, I just know people feel the same way I do. So I'm, I'm we grieving together, man. Yeah, the thing that stands out the most for me amongst both Kevin Conroy and Jason David Frank is their level of commitment to these two particular roles for such a long time. They both did the work of these two iconic roles for 30 years. Once Kevin Conroy became the voice of Batman, he never stopped being the voice of Batman. He mm-hmm. always returned. He did the Justice League series. He did all of these animated movies. Even if he would take a long hiatus, you know, he would eventually come back and you'd, you'd find his voice in the in the Batman Arkham series. It's like, oh my God, there goes my mm-hmm. childhood coming into my, you know, sort of formative years now as I'm a teenager, you know, going into college and playing this video game series and just all these other adaptations and Again, the same with Jason David Frank. I mean, he always returned to, to the Power Rangers franchise. I think was most recently involved, maybe in 2019, with the most recent series that they did. So we're talking just like a few short years ago. But as you said, would always do these appearances and be at cons and do cameos and stuff. Like, both of these guys had such special places in pop culture. And it felt like that they never took that for granted. It felt like that they knew how privileged they were to be a part of these roles that Yes, in certain people's eyes, might have been an overcast of their career, might have might have, you know, sort of darkened their career because they're only known for one thing. But I think that they look at it in a different light. I think that they both understood and knew like, wow, I got to do something and be be a part of something that changed a lot of young people's lives for a really long time. So I'm grateful for that. And so that I'm going to keep coming back and, and, and do it over and over again until I can anymore. And so. It's really, 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 really sad to see both of them go, um, as you said, because they both had such important places in our lives for such a long time, and they were just around for so long, it almost felt like you knew them. And so, yes, again, condolences out to the friends and families of both Kevin Conroy and Jason David Frank. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning in to another podcast. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week, but we will be back next week to talk about a few things, including the brand new Marvel Studios special presentation, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special that's going to be dropping this week on Disney Plus. So we'll be back to review that next week. We also have to talk about Glass Onion and Knives Out Story. It's getting a one week only theatrical release. So, you know, we're going to see it in theaters instead of waiting for it on Netflix. And we'll come back again Again, next week to talk about that brand new film from ryan johnson starring daniel craig and of course we have to talk about the final three episodes of andor the star wars original series airing currently on disney plus we've been talking about it every few weeks we'll wrap up that series once we get the series premiere or excuse me the series finale or the season finale whatever it is once we get that this weekend we'll be back next week to talk about that but until then we will see y'all next time yes sir we are audi 5000 Please check out our Two Black Panthers Forever collection at TwoBlackNerds.com. This is the year 2022 Black Nerds. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. I'm